Come and dream with me. Hello and welcome to What Do We Want to Watch, the Explosion Network's premier media podcast. Every fortnight we get together to talk about movies, TV and online content and help you answer the question, do movies need to bring back intermissions now that everything is two and a half, three hours long? Uh, will that boost numbers of people coming to the cinemas? I think so. No. Charge an extra 10 bucks and there's a 15 in- minute intermission at some point during the movie. Uh, I think people would actually go for that. I'm your host, Ashley Hobley. Joining me today, Dylan Blight. Hello, welcome to 2022. Whoa! What's changed? Movies? Are they getting delayed? Nah, nah. Mission Impossible? Fuck! Yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think all the things that I asked for to to happen in 2022 have already gone wrong. <laughs> no delays. No more ush- people going back to the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> all already terrible yeah so yeah 2022 is gonna be good yeah uh yeah so on today's episode we'll be talking about what's in his- what's history uh we'll be going through our track 2021 year in review uh we'll be doing covering some of our most anticipated movies of the year uh we'll be giving some thumbs to trailers and we'll be doing this week's top three uh obviously it's been a while since we've had an episode it's been like it's actually been just over a month. Uh, since- <laughs> so, I mean, there's been like, but there's been podcasts, content. Eighteen podcasts. There's been like twenty six podcasts. Yeah, that's probably accurate. Uh, yeah, so I figured we just run through a few things uh, that obviously we've housekeeping. They we've, call it housekeeping. Yeah, obviously we've all our best of twenty twenty one content. You can find it at explosion.com slash best of twenty twenty one. Uh, including our top 10 movies and TV shows of 2021. Of course, on this podcast feed, you can find our two personal best lists of TV shows and movies from last year. Uh, spoiler alert, Matrix Resurrections was our movie of the year. We also did a spoiler cast with Simon Blackburn, which you can go back and listen to. Spider-Man No Way Home. That was a massive thing <laughs> uh, that came out. Two days after the last episode. <laughs> uh, so yeah, go check out all new Marvel cast, uh, Marvel podcast, uh, in which we did a very big deep dive on that movie. Uh, of course, the F- Hawkeye finished. And check out uh, all new Marvel cast for our episode by episode breakdowns. Dylan, thumbs down, thumb two thumb two thumbs down, two thumbs up, one thumb one up, one down. Two, two thumbs up on, two Hawk- thumbs up. on Hawkeye. Yeah. yeah, also two thumbs up from me. The Witcher, season two. We just spoiled the cast for that. Um, Witcher, two thumbs up. Two. Also, two thumbs up. And right now, The Book of Boba Fett uh, is airing. You can go over to Holocron Entries, the our Star Wars podcast, uh, and check out our episode-by-episode reviews. Dylan, overall thoughts so far? One up, one down. Yeah, pretty simple. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I would dec- recommend listening to those instead of, yeah. It's been interesting so far. <laughs> All right. So, with that said, let's jump into uh, stuff that we've been watching recently. Uh, let's start with uh, Scream. Dylan, you went and saw the fifth Scream movie. Uh, everybody's talking about it. Make sure there's no spoilers. I don't want to know who the killer is, but is the killer on the poster? 
Yes, the killer is indeed on the poster. Good to know they didn't lie to us. They did not lie to you. Um, Scream, or it's, oh, I mean, it's just called Scream, but Scream 5 is really good. Um, it's, uh, it's in this weird run of like movie things that we have going now where it's doing the whole, it's a reboot, sequel, legacy sequel, plus because Scream's always been a meta as fuck franchise, of course it has fun poking fun of it at, uh, at both itself and other movies. So I, I don't want to spoil too many things, but the moment I was like, this is like, these people um, understand Scream and also are writing this the exact way it should be written is the classic Scream scene when the first couple of people have died, all the main characters gather in the room and they do the conversation. like, And they've done this since like Scream 2. It's like they get in the room. It's like, here's the rules. It's a sequel now. This is the way they'll do it. And you know, Scream 3, oh, the rules have changed now. And the third one, even the main character can die now. Like, There's always like one of these scenes. So they all get together and they do the, the thing when someone's explaining that like someone people are upset like they're trying to like do this thing and they you can tell as far as i'm concerned i'd like to hear someone's theory as to why this is not what they're talking about but they point out how in the real world like scream oh no in the scream world universe um in which the stab movies are made which are the movies based on the events in the movie um they're they're like stab eight came out recently and everyone hated Stab 8. In fact, fanboys online everywhere are so pissed off about Stab 8 that they're talking about wanting to remake it and use their own money and they the ruin the franchise. I'm like, they're talking about Star Wars. They're, <laughs> so they're, they're, there's yep. no way they're not talking about Star Wars. So, um, yeah. So, like, without saying too much more, that's, like, sort of the, the moment I was, like, they're very well, like the meta conversations, which have always been a part of this franchise. And that's the thing that doesn't make it feel weird. Like, it's not like they suddenly are like, oh, we're going to get meta. Scream's always been meta. The first Scream's meta. The first Scream's like sort of a meta. It's both a, a take meta conversation about horror movies um, and Wes's own horror movies, as well as it is a, a serious horror movie. And that's always sort of been the thing about the franchise. It's always had something to say about, Movies, horror movies, the world, uh, while doing a, a typical slasher. And this movie is no different. The cast is really good. Um, a lot of new young characters, of course. You have some returning legacy characters, as you do. I like the way they use. They're not in it as much as you may think based on the trailers. It is still primarily the new characters. Um, and the, when the, the, the originals come in, it's at a stage that makes sense. And I think they're used appropriately and everything like that. Um, I would say the kills weren't as eventful as maybe I'd liked, but like it's, you run out of way sometimes when it's just someone rubbing, running around with a knife, like to do, I guess, like new ways that they can somehow kill people. But there's one scene and I think it's the same one. I see most people tw tweet about like there's a scene in the midpoint of the movie that really runs your your tension up. It's a very prolonged tension building scene and it's done very very well. And I think that's sort of probably the highlight of the the scary tense part of the movie. Uh, finale is awesome, but yeah, I, I loved it. I feel like if you're a scream fan, it's really really good. Um, I it, I could in spoiler ways explain why. This this movie and the way it does meta stuff and use of legacy characters and stuff is 
and, and the, it's similar to how Matrix and I have no problems with the way they do them because it makes sense, blah, 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 compared to the, the reasons I got angry about Ghostbusters because I know some people, for some reason, would probably think they're all the same and, like, why would I get angry about Ghostbusters but not these? Like, there is reasons and, of course, I just need, like, to be able to talk about them in spoiler ways to explain why. Um, but, no, it's really, really good. Made me want to, like, do a full rewatch and I'd love to go watch it again, but don't know. We will see, but, Yeah. One, to, one, definitely off to a good start. If it was the first movie I saw in the cinemas this year, so. Uh, next up, Nightmare Alley, the latest film from Guillermo del Toro, his follow-up to Shape of Water. Yeah, this is a interesting one. I think it has a very strong, like it has a great first act. It has a good second act, um, and that sort of brings the movie down. I still think it's a very good. Um, I, I like old Gilmero films though. I know it's like obviously he has his ups and downs and some people liking some of more so than others. Uh, the pitch for this one is, cause I, I think sometimes the trailers, depending on which trailer you've seen, it can be somewhat confusing what exactly the, the point and story of the movie is, but it's basically the movie starts with Bradley Cooper's character showing up at a circus. You don't know anything about him. He sort of asks for a job. And then the first act of the movie is him and the circus and him living there and slowly over time becoming more like learning and picking up like magic skills. Uh, that eventually leads him to where he is in the second act where he's doing a his own stage show by himself. And then that's where he starts getting involved with characters like Kate Blanchett's character who's a psychologist and um, he's trying to do like mentalism for people. Um, and stuff like that to get money and he ends up getting like wrapped up in some sort of shady figures and stuff like that but i would say the the reason the second half is only good and the first half is great is because the first act where he's in the circus it's just a very um it's a very slowed down pace it's just you get to see you get a lot of time with the characters it just nothing feels like it's rushed you're really getting to know everyone uh it, it's just like it just feels good like it just feels like you're getting like not everyone there is good at the circus either like i'll say um some of the characters you're definitely like these are bad people but you're still they're still i guess the characters you're supposed to like to a degree but um and then for some when it switches gears into the and there's really no plot in the first half either i guess is the thing like there's no real direction of it then you're just watching this character bradley cooper's character just live and learn things and meet people and talk to them and get to know them, uh, fall in love, all these sorts of things. And then when it switches to the second half, where it has like a time jump, it's very plot driven. It's very much like he's got a goal, he wants to do this, and it's like bing, bing, it's like constantly jumping forward next day, next day. Like it's, it's just suddenly becomes very heavy. Like the pace changes and it's sort of weird when it's in the same movie and it quickly, you, you sort of feel the gears change, but it's just sort of off-putting, but... Um, overall i liked it i think it's shot beautifully uh wonderful performances by everyone uh there's this great monologue in the middle of the movie that sort of sets the the finale up fantastically sort of tease it off later um, but yeah i really I, I enjoyed it all right uh tell me about spencer the princess Diana movie starring kristen stewart um this is a horror movie so uh the 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 setup for this one is it's princess diana things like 1995 or something like that uh it's the last full christmas she ever spent with the royals 
at their regular Christmas like get together or whatever. But it takes place over Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then Boxing Day. So it's only three days. It's not a like it's not a biopic. It's it's definitely not like come here like a Diana biopic. It's a character study that is apparently as I'd done some googling after watching it. Stephen Knight, who wrote it, like did a lot of interviews with the staff, like or the like around the royals and stuff, and that's sort of what it's based on, like what she would do, like or the things that I already known about her, of course, and like so it's not like based on true, like this happened this day, this happened this day. It's like a rough sort of, and it says that at the start, like inspired by a, a true fable or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's more or less a character study into Diana, who throughout the entire time of this movie is. It's like she's trapped. It's the the royals, uh, the monsters. The queen is just this, just always positioned as this evil thing off screen. And that's the thing. The movie really never gives you time to see them. They're always just like these monsters lurking in the background or um, off camera, off screen sort of thing. Diana is, is like like stressed from the moment she gets there. She seems sort of free once she gets there. And then for, as she arrives and then as soon as she gets there, you can tell she's just sort of uh, wants to escape. Like it's, it's weird. It is actually a horror movie like without anyone getting killed, obviously, but from the music, from the way that shot, it's meant to be off putting. It's meant to be like, make you feel odd. Um, I think the script is too, I think it's just too long. I think it could have been tidied up to a close to 90 minutes proper thriller, like thrill light, like the edgier seat the entire time would have been a lot better. I think it slows down a few too many times. It's like closer to two hours or something. Um, and I think that sort of kills a lot of the momentum it builds at times or like the, the way it like builds up its tension and stuff like that. Even though it doesn't need to pay off, it just like, we'll just commit to doing like a full 90 minute thriller. Uh, but Christian Stewart's fantastic. Like her performance is really, really good. And if if you've seen people saying she's really good in this, it's because she is, and it could definitely be like a career pusher for her this role. But yeah, I'd say the movie's okay. She's really good though. Uh, so I went and chat. I went out and watched uh, the latest movie from Mamoru Mamoru Hosoda, uh, the director of. Uh, Boy and a Beast, and Summer Wars, Wolf Children, Mirai, Go Left to the Rhythm Time, uh, his latest film, Bell, uh, done by Studio Chizu. Uh, very, <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> uh, so it follows a young girl called Suzu, who is living in like rural Japan, um, she loved to sing as she was younger, uh, but has come to, uh, you know, uh, after her mother dies, uh, and her feeling, blaming her mother for, like, abandoning her, uh, she loses the ability to sing, uh, until she comes across, uh, you, which is the new virtual world app thing, metaverse, uh, that's kind of big, uh, and when she goes into you, she's able to sing again, uh, and becomes the quickly becomes a viral sensation as Belle, uh, a singer who, you know, captures the imagination of you and is quickly made a, bi- a big star uh, by a- mainly through the work of one of her friends. Um, she soon comes across a, uh, a guy within you called Dragon or Beast, um, 
you know, who's causing mayhem and wrecking stuff and, like, being a nuisance, that kind of stuff. And they kind of form a bond. He has his own castle that she goes and visits him in and tries to connect with him and that kind of stuff. It's, it's very much like a play on the Beauty and the Beast story, uh, but it's definitely maybe not... No, I don't want to actually say too much in case, yeah, we watch this. I think it is beautifully animated. The music is really fantastic. Um, yeah, the story goes in interesting directions. Um, it definitely reminded me of his work it reminds me as most of some awards um mostly because that was also similarly set in like a a metaverse universe i guess um but yeah i that's really because that's one of my favorites of his every Wars. yeah some Wars. so if you like some Wars, you'll probably like this as long as you also like people singing a lot fine by me fine by you not as much like out action i think there is yeah, there's way less fights in this than there was in some wars. Um, yeah, and it, it it definitely was super moving towards the end. Like, I definitely teared up at a certain point. Um, yeah, and there's just kind of this girl getting over her grief of her mother, like, and like trying to deal with that and kind of overcome that and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I really thought it was pretty fantastic. So uh, I would recommend going out and checking Bell if you've players. Anywhere near you, I watched it in uh, in Japanese with subtitles, uh, but it is also being screened dubbed as well. Um, yeah, fantastic. I've been listening to the music since I got home for the cinema, so uh, yeah, very ha- happy about that one. Uh, Dylan, tell me about how's a Gucci did. How was Lady Gaga and Jared Leto under twenty layers of makeup? So I'll start with this. Jared Leto on this is off. His fucking face. Uh, he is both unrecognizable, but like doing his usual thing. Where I just don't even believe he knows who he is when he's doing the role. Like he's just, <laughs> I, I don't know how anyone acted around him. It's just such a ridiculous performance. Um, overall, this movie is just, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's really weird because I just feel like everyone's, it's, everyone's not so far overacting that it becomes ridiculous. But a lot of people are really pushing that line of, <laughs> of just being a little bit too much, you know, and especially because no, everyone's like putting on accents and, you know, it's like, it's just, it becomes a lot. Uh, it's also a bit too long. Uh, I think the good thing about this movie is Lady Gaga is good. Like she's the, the, the standout, the reason to watch the movie, I'd say. Adam Driver is really good too, as well. But I'll say the Gaga sort of the standout. She is pushing it, uh, maybe being, but she rides that line. I think it's it, she's fine. But it's just everyone else in this movie, like literally everyone else that's in this movie, is just maybe not Jeremy Strong. Everyone else off their off their chain, especially Jared Leto, even Al Pacino. He's like having a fucking ball over here, yelling and doing overacting sort of sens- sensational stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a movie I watched. And I was, would say I was a little bit disappointed because it just doesn't, it doesn't land this, I guess, the seriousness of the story or like what happened or, or anything like that to a degree. It seems very sort of cookie cutter almost. And like the, I'd say the best half is the first half when you're getting to know the characters when, um, I can't remember the, the real people's names, but when Lady Gaga's character is like, meeting adam driver's character whatever mccall gushy and they're like falling in love and all this sort of stuff and then once you get to the second half and shit's going off the rails 
which inevitably you know was going to happen. Uh, that's when I was like a little bit less interested. But yeah, it's just it's it's a wild movie with some wild performances. Jared Leto is again. I just can't get over it. Like there's one scene where he's just like going around a kitchen and be like, oh, but like and all this sort of stuff. And Lady Gaga's just acting very serious next to her. I'm like, how are you doing this scene? Like I would be laughing. Like what did he just do? Like it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just a lot. But um, I would say it's okay. I think maybe I gave it a six or something on track, but that's probably where I'm at. Like uh, it's, it's okay. It's okay. All right. Uh, I went out and watched The King's Man. Uh, the prequel movie to the two Kingsman uh, films. This one also directed by Matthew Vaughn, uh, which they follows the creation of the Kingsman organization, uh, set in around the events of World War One. Uh, you have Ray Fiennes uh, as Orlando Oxford, <laughs> uh who, you know, he was a pacifist after the Boer Wars in South Africa and that kind of stuff. Um, and after his wife gets killed uh, and he's raising his son, Conrad, he's like an aristocrat. He's like obviously coming for wealth and everything. Um, but his son, Conrad, desperately wants to join the war efforts, especially as uh, World War One starts to kick off. Uh, you know, um, you kind of see all the events uh, kind of unfold in a Kingsman sort of way, uh, where I don't, I don't know if I knew this or not, but apparently the head of Germany, Russia and England were all cousins. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know enough about my history, uh, whether that's the true thing or not. Uh, but yeah, the, he kind of gets pulled in through his old connections. Um, you know, and it turns out, it turns out, uh, you know, he's been, uh, starting the king the kingsman organization kind of uh by like uh information seeking to uh system through like uh servants and that kind of stuff throughout the europe and that kind of thing gathering information uh yeah so they kicked off the events with them trying to go and kill rasputin uh but the entire world entirety of world war one is being orchestrated by this guy called the shepherd who you never see his face until like the last act of the film. Uh, his identity is kept secret the entire time. Uh, who's kind of orchestrating all these players uh, around? Uh, and yeah, it is—it's not as fun as the Kingsman moves. <laughs> I would say that. Obviously, it, it involves a lot of war and people dying a lot, and not in like a fun. Oh, they're getting shot and murdered, and our guys making funny one-liners. It's like war and depressing um yeah it just kind of tonally all over the place uh sometimes like super serious and then other times it's like kind of wacky uh obviously reese iffens plays rasputin uh who is very horny likes to lick stuff at his one point just eating a tart with his massive beard and half of it's coming out of his mouth uh then he proceeds to vomit it up because it's filled with poison uh at one point, he heals Ray Fine's injured leg. Never explained how he does that. Is there magic in this universe now? We don't know. Uh, yeah, it is an odd, odd movie. It's definitely the weakest of the three Kingsman's movies. I would say it's probably the weakest Matthew Vaughn movie as well. So, uh, Wow. Yeah. 
which is a shame because I, I, I really like Matthew Vaughn as a director. Um, there's some interesting shots and stuff and ideas that uh, and that kind of stuff, but yeah, it, it's a bit a bit of a mess this one. Uh, but they they definitely set it set it up for like a sequel potentially. Uh, but from what I hear, it's more likely a third proper Kingsman's gonna come. Uh, and it just, it, I don't think it's done well, very, very well box office wise. Um, I don't think it's even made it back as budget, but most of the movies coming out at the moment, <laughs> I've been struggling to do that. So it's not surprising. Not yeah. Scream. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so yeah, King's Man. It came out. Uh, Dylan, tell us about West Side Story. Fuck. We haven't recorded since that, eh? Yeah. Um, West Side Story. So Steven Spielberg's remake or version, whatever, of West Side Story. Um, it's okay, I guess. I think... So the songs are the same songs. So you should... If you've seen it before, obviously you'll know what you're sort of in for. If, if you haven't seen West Side Story before or even heard any of the songs. I'm sure most people have at least heard some of the songs or should... You'd, you'd probably be sitting there going, oh, this, this is what that's from, sort of thing. Um, the songs are good, obviously. I think Ansel Elgott is, and we were discussing this before, like if it would be feel weird because he has all these recent allegations mm. um, hanging over his head. So I tried to do my due diligence to just maybe forget about that for the two and a half hours or whatever, and then, like, you know, take that into account after. So just like try and zone myself into the movie, um, which was fine. Uh, so I'm saying this solely so I can say the following part and say it's not connected to that. I think he was ho- miscast. I think he's bad in this movie. Um, it has nothing to I, do with- I will with- say, from what I've read, that role is bes- uh, generally being considered the weakest part of the movie. It the is play. the- He is the worst part of the movie. Um, he, in fact, he I think he holds the movie back from being much better. And I, I, that's why I'm just clarifying. This is nothing to do with the- his sexual abuse allegations and all that sort of stuff. This is solely as a performance in the movie. I think he's the worst part of the movie. And if, and he actually uh, brings the entire thing down. Um, He's just a very one note. Like he's singing is obviously fine. It's not great. It's fine. But his performance is just so one note boring. And he's next to like, I have to open up the IMDb quickly. Rachel Ziegler. That's the new one. Yes. Yes. So she's fantastic. She's a fucking, she's a, a godsend in this movie. She's the, she's, she's, she's full of life. She's this wonderful screen presence. Like she brings like one of her main songs is just so like lively and everything. It's fantastic. She's amazing. Um, and then Ariana DeBose, 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 however you like, um, who's from done a bunch of other singing stuff as well, singing dance stuff. She again, fantastic, full of life, amazing. All over the screen, very colourful. It's awesome. Um, Bernardo, David Alva- Alvarez, fantastic. Full life, you know, like um, even um, Rita Moreno, who is like played the original um, Anita, I think it was, as the old lady was telling me when I left the theatre. Um, she plays Valentina, which is like I guess uh, Tony Angelo Gott's like I don't know, like she, she he lives with her, like she, she looks after him, whatever. They have a relationship there, uh, but she she's like again very good, like everyone. It's just Ansel Elgott is just so one note, dry. Don't even know if he wants to be here. Does he's he's not giving it the same amount of life and love that everyone else I feel in this movie is. Um, even um, 
Riff, who Mike Mike Fast, yeah, great. Corey Stoll's in this. Even he's great. He plays a cop, uh, this lieutenant dude or whatever. Like, um, he's really good in this. I was surprised because like, as soon as he showed up on screen, I was like, oh, Corey Stoll's in this. I didn't actually know that. Like, this seems a bit weird casting, and like, is this going to off put me? But no, I was, I was totally into it. Um, yeah, shot wonderfully. Obviously, it's this beautiful cinematography. Um, uh, I guess as you as you would expect. Um, the but yeah, I just I feel like another thing is that they try they rework some scenes to play around with the whole racism storyline because obviously that's what what it was. It was like that's the the West Side Story thing is about racism. Um, people like a bunch of a white gang fighting a Latinx, I guess gang or whatever. That's sort of the setup, I guess. Um, and they try and rewrite it to make it a bit more 2020 <laughs> uh, version. Some parts of it just still feel off. Like you get more scenes in this with both sides of characters, both sides of views or su- su- stuff like that. But overall, it still feels a bit like you, you're trying to, you're trying to rewrite a movie or a story from, you know, the fifties or wherever that was written basically from the white guy point of view. And like, it almost feels like you should just take the songs and just, I don't know, do, do it from scratch and not try and follow. Cause for the most part, it does just follow the same exact beats and everything. It's not, it's not doing like a, a completely revision of it all, but um, yeah, it's, it's okay. I'd say it's okay. I feel like Ansel Elgott definitely brings this entire thing down. Anytime he's on screen, he's the least interesting character in the movie. He's least in- interesting performer. And I mean, it's a, it's a musical. You need the, you need the people doing the, I think the song and dances and, you know, to, to, to bring that elevated emotion to those songs and stuff. And he just doesn't. So no. All right. Uh, let's move away from some movies and talk about some TV. Uh, Peacemaker, the spinoff from the Suicide Squad, uh, starring John Cena, uh, is available now on Binge. The first four episodes are out so far. I've watched all four. Have you watched any yet, Dylan? Mm-mm. Okay, so I'll try and keep it spoiler-free-ish. Uh, pretty much following Peacemaker after the events of uh, Suicide Squad, in which he survives and is in hospital. Uh, he soon gets uh, forced to work in a special uh, August August offshoot team Um Chasing down uh, certain targets uh, with a... Well, yeah, again, I don't want to get too much into what exactly... Why the targets are being targeted and that kind of thing. But yeah, they need a killer and Peacemaker's the killer they've got. Um, so yeah, Peacemaker... It's pretty great. I think I think it's a really fun time. John Cena is <laughs> getting to do more of Peacemaker and that's always good because I think he was probably a highlight of that film. Um unexpected highlight uh yeah and this kind of explores definitely why peacemaker is the way that he is um obviously you've got robert patrick playing his father um who i will say much more racist <laughs> outwardly racist than uh john Cena's peacemaker is um and yeah he plays kind of a key role in peacemaker being the way that he is um and yeah I enjoy, like, the team dynamic. There's some cool secrets being held between people. There's clearly some sort of attraction and that kind of thing between certain people. Um, they've got... Peacemaker's 
friend, in quotation mark, vigilante comes along at some point. Uh, pretty much he just sh- shows up uh, and becomes part of the team. So that's, he is cool and interesting dynamic to the team as well. Um, and yeah, it is as gross, like violent as the Suicide Squad. Um, they definitely, like, he's, he can say pretty much whatever he wants. He full on says that Aquaman is fucking fish and that Batman is a pussy and, you know, saying all these, <laughs> making all these references to characters within the DC universe and that kind of stuff. Uh, talking about matter eating Latin and shit. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, there's all these random things. Um, yeah, it, it's, it is definitely a James Gunn produced thing. There's like music plays a key role in like, you know, he, he feels music and he's dancing a lot because that's how he kind of gets his emotions out and that kind of stuff. And the show has one of the best opening credit sequences uh, currently airing. Uh, in which the entire cast dances to Do You Want to Taste This? Um, the song that you probably heard in the trailers. You know, the extended dance sequence. So, if you haven't seen... Have you seen that, at least? Nope? Okay. I've well, seen people tweeting the, the opening is great. So, I know that it's a thing, but I haven't watched it, no. Yeah. It's 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 surprisingly very, very good. So I, I didn't want to look at... Uh, I, I'm like, I'm going to watch no, the show. Yeah, no. So, I'm like, I don't want to like just go watch the... But yes, the, I haven't I'll skipped the it. opening in any of the episodes so far. Because it's just a delight to watch every single time. So, yeah. Uh, Peacemaker. Again, available on Binge. I assume it's also on Foxtel. Uh, doesn't matter. You should just have Binge instead. Uh, yeah, so there's that. Uh, Dylan, tell us about the massive holiday hit, Yellow Jackets. Oh, my God. What a show, everyone. If you bloody um, see my Twitter. So I, I jumped into... So I see people... I see some people I'm following tweeting about this show, Yellow Jackets, for a few weeks there. And I... You know, maybe the first time someone tweets about it, I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, second or third time I see someone tweet about something like, fuck this show. It's, you know, it's that tweet, the second or third week where it's like, oh my, this show just keeps getting better. Oh, this show's still getting great. Like, ah, oh, I can't stop watching it. So I was like, fuck, I better check out this damn yellow jacket. I didn't even, I didn't even heard of this thing. So I watched the trailer. I'm like, yes, that does seem like something I would be interested. That does seem like it follows in my interests of genres. Mm. Um, so I think I jumped in when it was at, Episode five, maybe six. I don't remember. I think I watched like the last, I think I had like maybe three or four left. So I think maybe just over halfway I jumped in. Slightly over halfway through the season, I think I jumped in. Because um, I binged upwards and then it was like a day later, the next episode dropped and then I was away. So I think I had like two when I came back. Anyway, mm. um, the the premise is that a uh, high school, American high school, uh, football such soccer they call it soccer of course uh girls soccer team their flight crashes their plane crashes fuck knows where that's the point of the show obviously the plane crashes and fuck knows where and they survive there so this isn't the thing the show isn't always set there it's it's a flashbacky one we're talking lost people right the <laughs> they survive there i think it's for a year and a half and then some of them make it back so you know some of them are going to survive and that's because so Melanie. Um, Melanie Lezinski, who I guess most people would have seen most recently in Don't Look Up. What? Did Sorry, I, say I thought you, you said Melanie. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a weird character name. No, it's Melanie here. Yeah. 
Mel- yeah, I said it wrong the first time. Melanie Leninsky, who most people would have seen Don't Look Up recently. She plays uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, wife what? in that. We'll get um, to she's that. In a bunch of, she's in a bunch of other stuff too. But um, And then, so she plays this character, Shauna. Tawny Cypress plays this character. These are the adult versions, right? Uh, Tysa. And then uh, you've got, uh, what's the fuck, the most famous person? Is, uh, Christina Ricci. Oh, no, there's two more, sorry. So Christina Ricci plays Miss, Missy and then Juliette Lewis plays Natalie. So you know these four characters, these four girls will survive. They will make it out the year and a half. But I tell you what, if you don't, I think this show has one of the best pilots of recent memory because it hits you hard to the point that you're like, yeah, I want to fucking know how we get to that point and how they survive. So the pilot starts obviously with these flashbacks and stuff, but the pilot shows you a lot of what's to come, which is these teen girls... Um, in a, a scene where they're chasing another girl um, who's naked from, like through the forest or whatever, and they're like dressed up in like animal skin hides and like full-on masks, you know, like real tribal-esque shit. And they like chase this girl into a trap. She like falls into this like pit of spikes and obviously dies. You get to see her body like bl- she's like lands and bleeding out, whatever. And then for, for shortly after that, like I'm spoiling. I'm spoiling to a degree the first episode, but this is the pitch. This is the pitch, right? So I'm going to skip ahead if you want to hear this part, but this is the pitch, right? The show's finished. You're going to watch it all. I'm telling you why you should watch it. <laughs> they, late, shortly after that, in the, the same episode, you then see them all around campfire. And you don't, that's the thing, because they're all wearing masks. So it's smart. So, because all the girls who are there at this time all have masks, obviously, you don't know which is. Which, you know, three, four of them have to be the girls that survive, but who are the other ones is sort of the, the question. Also, who's the one in the middle? Who's the leader? We don't know yet. Um, but they're, they're eating the girl. They're going full cannibal is what they're doing. They're going full fucking cannibal. So you have these flashbacks throughout the entire scene, and they never say it in the show. They never say it. You never hear any of the adult characters say we went full fucking cannibal out there. But they constantly talk about how, because when they got back, none of them talked. They made a pact. Do not talk about what happened. Don't talk about what we did. And that's what, what they'll always say whenever you have the adult characters talking. Like they, they, they want to talk about their secrets. They don't want the secrets getting out. Obviously the secrets is uh, the cannibalism, but who knows what the fuck else happens. Um, I don't say like which characters die, but yes, some characters die in the first season in the like the flashbacky in surviving in the wilderness sort of stuff. But yeah, it's, and there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens in the current day. They start getting blackmailed. They think someone's trying to get their the information out there. One of the characters is trying to run for a, um, uh, well, I can't remember American government, but like the, you know, like a, a Senate in a city or whatever that high position is like the, the leader of a city, like not mayor. the mayor, but no, not the mayor, like the, whatever it starts with Council. S, I think, or something. No, something like that. Anyway, that senator. sort of thing. Senator. Yes, yeah, a senator, I think, is what they're running for. Um, so she's trying to run for that. So it doesn't want the secrets getting out there. Blackmail. The other, the other girl who survives is married to, uh, now married to a guy that you know uh, was actually the boyfriend of her best friend who she was secretly fucking back in the day and now she's married to. So for the first few episodes, you're like, whoa, like what the fuck is going on there? Has a fantastic 90s soundtrack because it's that's when it's um, set, some real bangers and stuff like that. But yeah, I feel like if you like teen, teen like teen horror sort of stuff, genre-wise, yes, please. If you like mystery TV shows where you're like, there's lots of, sort of mystery boxes set up and what's to happen like for instance 
I get a lot lost in the show too. And I don't know if it's on, like, not to say it's like really convoluted, but like for at the, from the episode one, they, as soon as they land in this place, crash land. And by the way, the crash landing scene, probably one of the best, at least TV show crash landing air, uh, airplane scenes I've seen. Cause it doesn't, doesn't fake it out. Like the whole thing starts catching on fire. There's a fucking dude burning in the back. It's like, yeah, it wouldn't be cookie cutter safe landing. Oh no, we bumped our heads. Like it's someone gets a pole straight through them. It's like pretty visceral. Um, the, there's like all these like random symbols on uh, on trees like cut in. So straight away from the first episode, and the characters never notice it, but the camera of course pans past them. So you, you as an audience member, you're like, what are these fucking symbols? Who's out here? What's going on? So straight away, and this is, I'm telling you right now, this isn't all answered in the first season. Lots of mystery boxes. Love to see it. So yeah, I'm hooked. Uh, I binged it, kept watching it, kept thinking about it. Definitely one of my favorite things. Um, and considering the last few episodes were in 2021, uh, 2022, sorry, it's, it falls under our 2022 show yep. rules. So currently it would be one of my favorite things, definitely at the top of the list, you know, 2022 shows, but it's I was highly suggest everyone watch it. Yeah. All the performances are great. Like the Christina Ricci, if you've been a fan of her and kind of been like, man, she fell off. What, she hasn't done anything great for years. This is it. Christina Ricci fans, if you've been waiting, she is fucking off her face in this like she is i can't even tell you like i don't want to spoil her character but she is she's on another level like she's just sort of a sicko to be honest but um she plays it so well um that you you're like you're evil <laughs> but she doesn't like she's like evil but smiling like huh, what, what did i do you stab that person you know like that sort of like sort of psycho um she's really good um, every, everyone's really good but also all the young girls are fantastic too I think there's like a standout young cast here um, that's really really good so yeah I love this show can't wait for more mm. everyone should watch it yeah they're starting to break out some of them apparently like two of them have been in pretty big things since <laughs> yeah Scream one of them's in yeah. and then the other one's in The Mandalorian Book of, so. Book of Boba Fett uh, Book of Boba Fett sorry yeah. yeah I might have to bite the bullet and watch the pilot tonight maybe watch the pilot pilot like I swear if you get to the end of the pilot I'll say this the, the pilot has some of the, the more gory stuff in it because they like mm. really want to hit you with it and be like, yep. it's not a horror show for the most part. I'd say it's a, a drama thriller for the most part, but it's that first episode hits you, but also it gives you enough that you're like, if by the end of the episode, you're like, I don't want to, I want to know what happens next. You're insane. Cause I swear I was like, man, where's the next episode? Let's fucking go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I started watching station 11. So this is the new, uh, dystopian fiction miniseries before you go at some point in what you're about to say answer this question why did they release this now (laughs) (laughs) because they started filming it before (laughs) did they though because we've been in a pandemic for like 15 years so uh let's see filming started january 2020 january january 2020 Okay, that's some bad fucking timing then. <laughs> so, if you didn't know, uh, st- in Station Eleven, it follows, uh, yeah, and pretty much a post, po- uh, post- uh, pretty much follows an apocalyptic event in which, uh, you know, everybody starts uh, getting this flu that starts killing everybody. Yep, <laughs> crazy out there mm. idea. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Based on a book from like, uh, was it 2014? 2015? I know it's recent, so I don't know. Yeah, but it's not like, it's not like two years, not like. No, no, no. In the last couple of years. This uh, motherfucker predicted something. <laughs> yeah. Not, not so drama, so. 
pretty much. So yeah, it just kind of follows at least the first episode like follows the events of that first day of like everybody it, everything going to shit. Um but then it was also flashes forward to like 20 something years in the future. Um and seeing how the world has kind of survived since um yeah, it's hard to say given overall idea of the show so far cuz it's like three episodes in but like the three episodes have all featured different like protagonists um but probably one of the main through through the two main through lines uh you've got the character of uh kirsten who's played in the past as by matilda lawler and then is played in the future by mackenzie davis um yeah it kind of follows her uh trajectory and then you've got this comic book called station 11 uh that's been written was written by uh the person that we meet following episode three i can't remember exactly uh miranda um and the third episode explores her story up to i don't know infection day or whatever um and yeah but somehow the comic has it seems to have like some sort of prophecy element to it um because they start people start showing up in the to kirsten quoting things from this book which apparently there was only like one or two copies of um yeah it's interesting so far i'm not like desperate to keep watching episodes but uh it's it's definitely intriguing it's got a really good cast like himish patel game gail garcia no gail gail garcia bernal um yeah because davis is pretty much great in everything she does so uh lots of interesting ideas and that kind of stuff like the thing in the future um was with uh like humanities all run down and everything so what they do is they uh kirsten's part of this traveling troupe that goes from town to town performing shakespeare um you know just to lift people's spirits and that kind of thing uh yeah so yeah, I found it quite interesting. Uh, of course, the subject matter might be a bit too depressing and on the nose for some people, uh, but it's currently it's all out now, available on stand. Uh, I've heard it ends very well, so it is something I want to try and finish uh, sometime this year. So I was Stash. making fun of it, but it is on like high part of my list to watch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been yeah pretty well regarded. R- well regarded. Uh, Dylan, season two of Euphoria has come out. Oh boy. Talk about some good television. By God, this show doesn't miss. It doesn't miss. I can't. If you're not watching Euphoria, you're a piece of shit. Are you watching Euphoria, Ash? Okay. No, you're a fucking piece of shit. Um, the. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I feel like it's it's been a while. So, in case someone else missed it, like Euphoria season one, when did that come out? 2019, mid 2019. So then we had the two specials, uh, one at the very end of. Um, Right end of 2020, I guess? Times are fucking blur. Would it have been end of 2020? And then the first one was 2020. I hope they're both 2021, seeing as uh, Zendaya no. was like our best leading actor in a drama. Oh, no, it's... Th- so it was December tw- It was December 2020, but it still fell in there. Okay. Like, it, it was in It's the- still crazy that she got in the top five best leading actress for dramas, performances in a drama for two episodes of television. Well, when it's that good, Ash, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. You haven't seen it. You can't judge. Um, the So season 
We've got two episodes as of recording. Um, they're both very good. So there's a bit of a time gap. I, it's hard to talk about show about spoiling it because I just want everyone to watch it. But um, the season two opens with this flashback scene about this character, um, Fezco, who's like this drug dealer from season one who you don't really know much about. And it's just really good, like sort of 10 minute mood. It's like backstory for this character that's really, really great. And then you get into like this, the main crux, which is that um, Ruse and Daya's character and Jules, um, her girlfriend, they had split up. And then you have this whole will they, won't they bump into each other They're at, the, at this college party. And this has some beautiful cinematography in it. Um, lots of, I don't know how they shot it. Like it's lots of so slow motion, sort of the camera purposely showing where characters are at at this party because you know something's going to happen, but you just don't know who it's going to implode on. Um, like the camera's like panning in on them and it's like someone's like holding a very strong flashlight and just like blasting their face right as the camera gets close. I don't know, but it looks really cool. Um, all over, Euphoria's always had some really interesting cinematography and um, the way it shoots stuff, uh, especially because often it, It'll even have stuff randomly in episodes where it's just 4-4 breaks and Zendaya's character's like talking to you, which is... The show doesn't really have rules as to how it tells to choose its story. And often the show's also primarily told from Rue's point of view. And because she's a fucking drug addict, um, who... Well, the, the show starts, season one, was about how she just got home from... Um, whatever you call it. Like she was in a, a drug rehabilitation thing. Um, and season one covers how she's trying not to get back into doing drugs. Anyway, season two, she's on drugs again. Um, she's relapsed hard. She's lying to Jules. So that's not going to work out well. That's how we start the season. And she meets this other guy whose name I can't remember. I don't know if I can find a character. It's a new character. Anyway, this new character who she's just doing drugs with. She nearly dies in the first episode. I was like, okay, that'd be an interesting way for the show to go. She just has a fucking (laughs) drug overdose straight away. But here we are. Um, but then you also get this fucking thing where this other character basically gets his face beaten in so much his nose like looks like it's about to collapse. You have these other interesting things that are going on. I don't know. The whole show is like obviously high school, college drama, but on a R-rated level. So if people have never seen Euphoria, lots of drug use, lots of violence, uh, lots of nudity. Um, the show does a really good job. Uh, 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 of both being lots of female and male nudity, so so I think I think there was a high level of amount of dongs in the first episode of season two, like a lot of dick. I think there was more dick than boobs, to be honest. So um, I heard there was a lot of dick in this show. So there was there was there was a lot of dick. There was a lot of dick, to be honest. And what stage this this girl? People have been using this shot of um, what the fuck's her name? Sydney Sweeney, where she's laying in a bathtub, and she's trying to hide in like the first episode. And people have been using that as a meme lately. I don't know if you've seen that yep. going around Twitter. Yeah, I've if seen, you've seen that. that one. That's what it's from. It's from Euphoria. Um, <laughs> that's what that shot's from. Uh, but she's laying there. And then when she goes to get out, this other dude walks in to take a shit. He just like rips his pants down. Of course, his dick's just sitting there. And then she's like staring. And then she, he's like, I'll totally fuck you, but I'm still going to take a dump first or whatever. It's just like such a... <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a wild show. Uh, but yeah, Sydney Sweeney's character is like hooking up with this, like her best friend's boyfriend. There's like a lot of drama happening there, obviously. And then um, the interest, the other interesting character I want to shout out for people is that um, Maud Apatow's character, Lexi Howard, has been getting a lot of, um, in the first couple episodes at least, she's been getting a, a direction where she's sort of falling in love with the character I was talking about, or seems to be at least interested in Fezco, the drug dealer I was talking about before, um, which is interesting because she's like sort of the, in the friend group, the other ones are like sort of the party girls and whatever else, but she's sort of like the straight A, you know, she's like in the group, but not that one. So obviously in season one, she didn't get a lot of like 
she didn't really have like a story. She was just sort of there. Um, so it's good to see that this season's giving her something to do. And she's like, the performances have been really good the first couple of episodes. Like, I was like, go Maud Apatow, you know, good, good on you, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. It's Coleman Domingo again, fucking everything. Every time he's on screen, he's like, there's the best thing that's happening. He's the major, that episode that I said was like some of the best TV. I stand by it. That, the first Euphoria special, the first of the, the, the two parters that are released, it's just him, his character, Coleman Domingo's character, and Zendaya's character, Rue, sitting in a restaurant for an hour, just talking. It's literally just two characters talking. And you'd be like, how's that interesting? You haven't seen acting. You haven't seen acting. You haven't seen storytelling. It's, it's fucking, it is, it's bare bones. <laughs> it's fucking, it's 10 out of 10 episode of television. You people don't know what you're missing out on. Anyway, I don't know. It's hard to talk about because it just, Euphoria is like one of my favorite shows at the moment. And I love all the characters. Um, but also, it's hard to picture because obviously I'm talking about like, it's just, it sounds like you're pitching like a fucking pretty little liars or something, I guess. But it's, it's just more adult than that i guess like it's just a little it's a bit more serious a bit more i don't know it's like it's not as light-hearted you know it's got something happening but i don't know euphoria is really good it's back i'm very keen i'm gonna be watching it week by week so far it's off to a great start can't see what's gonna happen um it's had some tense moments see what happens everyone should watch euphoria all right uh i checked out the first episode of magruber the TV follow-up. How do we go? How, how do you? How do you? How do you? You take me from Euphoria to that? I'm like, here's some, here's here's some fine wine. Television. Here's here's one of the best TV shows on TV at the moment. Here's one of Dylan's top TV Listen. shows. Here's a show that Dylan will probably have on his top ten TV shows of 2022 list. And you're like, I checked out the first episode of McGruber. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Listen, I would like to give people like a hard switch up. You know. Someone just fell out of their car because you whiplashed them so fucking hard. And they were on a highway straight, Ash. They were driving straight and they still fell out. That's impressive. So, yes. Uh, this It's the follow-up to the movie of MacGruber. Dylan, did you ever watch the movie of MacGruber? No, I did not. No. Uh, so, that's a movie based on a series of SNL skits in which Will Forte plays MacGruber, a MacGyver super uber- patriot type uh so if it doesn't matter if you haven't seen the movie because the episode opens with maya rudolph singing for five minutes the plot of magruba uh including like interstitial shots uh but you know i'll, I'll spoil the ending of magruba because it's you know the ending is you know he saves the day stops the ba- major villain is getting married to the girl who he's his ex his wife's best friend his ex well his Dead wife's best friend, his dead wife, who was Maya Rudolph. It is new wife played by Kristen Wiig. The uh, fuck but are at you the- saying? <laughs> so, but at the wedding, the bad guy shows up again. Uh, but then MacGruber kills the bad guy uh, and then proceeds to blow him up with a rocket and piss on his dead body. Um, turns out that was murder, not self-defense. <laughs> So he gets charged with murder, uh, and he gets sent to life in prison. Um, but then, he, you know, the the American government, uh, the president's daughter gets kidnapped, uh, wow. and the terrorists want to exchange 
MacGruber for the president's daughter. Uh, so, yeah, we kind of follow up 10 something years after, or however long since the movie. Uh, you know, MacGruber gets an opportunity to, like, go see the people, his ex, his wife, who's now his ex wife, uh, and his best friend, who's now his ex best friend, uh, because apparently during the trial process, he was trying to throw everybody else under the bus to try and get off. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> if you like the movie McGruber, I think you'll like this. It's definitely got its own weird, wacky sense of humor. Like, obviously, like, uh, he was Jorma Takomi, uh, one of the Lonely Island guys is involved, and, um, obviously Will Forte is heavily involved in that kind of stuff. Definitely has the tone of, like, a Hot Rod or some of the early Lonely Island movies that weren't pop star and that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I can see this not being for everybody. And it definitely has a weird, wacky tone. And like, uh, yeah, it is an odd one. It is crazy that they did make a TV series because the movie is notorious for being one of the worst box office bombs of all time. Uh, so yeah, ballsy for them too to make a TV sequel. But, you know, I guess it gathered some sort of cult status or... You know, Peacock was really desperate for content, so I don't know. Give give the pilot a shot. I think that's all I'll say. Uh, but yeah, I might watch another episode of Toop. <laughs> I'm sorry. The funniest thing is during the terrorist handoff, like they make him strip naked and everything, you know, like you do. Ah, but then when they release the the president's daughter, it's just the president's dog that runs out, <laughs> and and McGruber's super upset, <laughs> thinking they've traded him for just a dog. And then the daughter comes across. Yeah. It's pretty great. Gruber. <laughs> you having too much fun talking about the show. I know. Uh, Dylan, tell us about The Tourist. Speaking of things on Stan. The Tourist. Oh, right. The Tourist. Um, Jamie so, Yep. Yeah, I, I got lost there for a second. Um, this one, it was okay. It's, so it's an Australian show. It's uh, obviously a Stan original. It's about uh, Jamie, Jamie Dornan t- plays this character who doesn't have a name. You don't know his name because the premise is that the show opens with a sequence in which he's like a, 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 a truck starts chasing him or whatever in the middle of WA or whatever, desert, middle of buttfuck nowhere, Australia. Um, it's this sort of intense, almost dual Spielberg reminiscent scene. Anyway, the truck eventually bowls him over. Um, and then he wakes up in the hospital, memory loss. Can't remember who he is. Doesn't know why someone in the truck would be chasing him. Doesn't know, like, anything. Police can't find anything on him. And, the, of course, everyone's like, stay in the hospital, figure stuff out. And he's like, nah, fuck that. Because they find one note in his pocket or whatever that said he had to be at some diner in a, in a town that's like, you know, having many kilometers away. So on, he, on his way he gets. And the show is him trying to figure out and tr- like retrace his steps to figure out who he was, what he was doing there, why someone would be trying to kill him and then figure out, um, you know, everything else from there. So um, it's okay. It has like a weird sort of, I feel like it's trying to be, I feel like its biggest influence is probably Fargo, like tonally wise. I think it's, and not the movie, but the TV show. I feel like tonally it's trying to be Australia's version of Fargo to a degree, like a dark comedy, serious crime thing at the same time. Like Fargo is a serious show, 
but it's also it has the same tone that the F- Fargo like movie did with the current brothers, which is that it had a dark comedy element to it without losing the fact that it was still trying to tell this serious crime story. Uh, this is what this is trying to do. Several times it tries to fit in sort of comedic characters and stuff, um, including Danielle McDonald plays the other main character in it, um, who most people, I guess, would know for... Well, I mean, I think of Dumplin' or um, Patty Cake, which is, I think that movie is like sort of underrated, but she's been in a few other things since then. Uh, but she plays this... I didn't realize she was Australian either until I looked this up. So, um, but she's Australian. She plays this uh, new cop, like literally first on day, who sort of takes it, even though it's not her job to try and track this person down because she's not a detective. She sort of puts it upon herself, even though everyone keeps saying, don't do that. Um, and she has this weird relationship with her, like sort of uh, over controlling husband, which is sort of supposed to be the comedic scenes, I guess. Anyway, she like her character is a little bit off for the time for it. Maybe J.B. Dornham's just sort of off for the tone of it. I don't know. But yeah, I'd probably give it six or something. It was okay. Um, it's at least something original on our streaming services made in Australia to watch, which I'm always going to try to make sure I check out all those just to, to support them in one way or another. But um, yeah, it was, it was okay. Okay. Uh, so I've been watching on Paramount Plus The Neighbourhood. So this is a... Uh, not too much to say. This is like a ba- your basic sitcom uh, starring Sergio Detaino and Max Greenfield uh, in which a white family from Michigan moves to a predominantly black neighborhood in Pasadena, California, uh, and hijinks can sue. You know, the father, played by Cedric, is like super skeptical about this white person living in his house next door, you know, and the white dude is super white, you know. And does weird stuff, like wear short shorts while he's jogging and stuff. Uh, but yeah, I find it's just a, you know, comforting, <laughs> dumb show. So yeah, that's something I've been watching while working on other stuff and that kind of thing. Uh, I will say the opening episode of season three opens, uh, obviously it came out like after the events of, after like George Floyd and that kind of stuff. So it very much tackles that subject matter straight on. So I thought that was a pretty bold episode. Uh, which isn't very funny, but, like, obviously is tackling some of those issues and, like, addressing that with uh, the families and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I'm quite enjoying that. So, if you you want, like, a dumb sitcom to watch that you haven't that you haven't watched before, I'd check out The Neighbourhood. Especially, you know, everybody like is pretty likable in this show. So, yeah. Uh, Dylan, season two of The Bump. Or Bump. The Bump. Uh, season two of Bump. It was really good. It was good as I think it's, I mean, it continues the same tone, I guess, as the first season, which is this, I don't know, I, th- I think it's a dra- dramedy, I guess, is what it's supposed to be. But um, by the way, shout outs, and I've said this off air, but the fact that the first season came out in January, second came out in December, crazy to me, crazy. Um, the storyline this season is obviously at the end. You can spoil the first season, can't I? The first season ends where you get um, Santa... What's his name? Santo or something? Santi. Santi? Yeah, Santi. um, And Ollie sort of, uh, like, sort of together now. And they're going to sort of co-parent this child while they still continue to go to high school and see the 
scrolling through to the end or whatever. And the first episode makes a good job of showing in the first sort of 10 minutes that they're trying this, but also it's just a system that you can see running down and having problems quickly where, you know, they're at school and they're like trading the baby while each has a free class and the other one doesn't. And they sort of built the whole system around that. Um, so, you know, like they're trying to get their life underway while also um, Ollie's mom is sort of reveling with the fact that, you know, at the end of the first season, you had the whole revelation that um, the fact that she was cheating, uh, well, she was she was split up, I guess, at the time. So, didn't, but she was with getting with Santi's dad, who was cheating uh, with her, Ollie's mom, which is a whole weird thing because then it's the two kids, his parents getting together, odd thing. Um, so you have that storyline sort of continue throughout this season and um, you see different characters trying to either move past that or whatever. Um, I can't remember her name, but the, the not Santi's, Santi's stepmom, because that's what it is actually is. Like, I think it's in the first episode um, where um, Angie and Don, Angus Sampson, like uh, Ollie's dad, they're like setting up this apartment that the two of them are going to take turns. That's how they decide to do their, their split. Like they've got, it's really weird setup, really, but <laughs> they get this apartment that they one of them will stay in for a week or something like that. I think is how they go, and then they'll rotate. So they take turns actually having the house, like with Ollie or whatever. Like, and that's how they're rotating. Like instead of like one living somewhere permanently, that's it. so they're setting up this place, and then um, Santi's like stepmom shows up and she just starts throwing like fucking twenty eggs at the windows and all this sort of stuff and. Don goes up there. Angus Sampson in this show is like sort of my favorite thing. I love him in this show. Um, I can't like I I don't know if it like he he just hits a certain funny bone for me, or it's just a sort of performance that I I sort of love his whole sort of dad vibes in this. Or I don't know what it is, but I love him in this show. I think he, he's really really great. But um, really good, funny, dramatic moments. Of course, I like the direction they take all the characters. I have no problems with the sort of the paths and directions they all go. I think the ending and like where it sets it up for season three, I'm a bit like, that seems weird. Like I, I, I know it just seems like the show just jumped in a weird direction, but I'll have to see if that actually makes sense or how it plays out in season three, because it just sort of like puts the characters in a, the main two, it puts Ollie and Santi in a place where I'm like, really? Like that's what we're doing. Like that just seems not really how'd we get here like i was just, I, I can't really say for spoilers but i was just like a little bit off put by that but um all in all i thought it was really really good and definitely the you know it was in my top 10 tv shows and stuff so um bump season two is good bump season one's good came for this next season all right uh i finished watching wheel of time i'm not sure if i discussed i think we were just i don't i don't think you had i I don't recall no i don't think the season had finished no the last episode came out 24th of december so no uh yeah i really enjoyed the end of the season obviously you know uh they were building up to this confrontation with the dark one i think they built up to it pretty well kind of explaining uh where they're going forward from here and kind of splitting uh the group up in different directions uh yeah really enjoyable like big action sequence at the end uh but also like a weirdly like not like a massive confrontation at the end it's like it's a weird one uh i would recommend checking it out uh you know you could probably wait till season two was a bit closer and then you know a bit put them together uh yeah 
but yeah, overall, I think Wheel of Time, pretty good. It's not going to do, it's not Game of Thrones season one levels, but it is still pretty good for a uh, fantasy series. And I think we're going to get a few of those this year. So <laughs> uh, yeah, Wheel of Time, I would recommend watching it. Dylan, you watched the two South Park post-COVID specials. Yeah, so obviously I got Paramount Plus so I could watch uh, Yellow, Yellow Jackets. Um, so while I was there, I was like, what else is here? And they had these two South Park specials that I think were... Ob- I th- I think it's pretty obvious that they got these made to have like exclusive content on Paramount Plus. Like South Park's obviously a big property. Here's like get two movies. I think they're like an hour each roughly that so mm. um but you can watch them back to back i think they release maybe a week apart or a couple of days apart that sort of thing but um they're pretty funny obviously only if you like south park if you don't like south park this isn't going to change your mind but the premise is the first one starts um so it's all when they're adults so it starts like year i can't remember what the year is it starts like years from now covid's over um it's like we're living in a post-covid world and all this sort of stuff and then they're having a high school reunion. So um, you, I think it's Stan. I'm not, I don't watch South Park as much as I did when I was in high school, but it fo- I think Stan's like the main person it follows and um, he hates his life anyway. He's like lives in his apartment alone, basically hates life. Uh, and it follows him coming back to South Park and they have this sort of, oh, everyone's get together. There's a funny scene where Cartman actually comes in and he's, mu- he's married to a, a Jewish lady and he's become like a, I don't know, a Jewish priest or what i don't actually know what the thing the proper word is but i swear i can i can't remember anyway that um and of course straight away kyle's like you fucking doing this to fuck with me like <laughs> is this like some long-term joke or whatever it's like so there's some like funny continuing self like bits in there um oh they come back because kenny died that was the thing sorry that was the so kenny died of course and then, so they were coming back but then when they get to south park someone gets uh a new version of the coronavirus is released and then they everyone tries to escape escape south park and there's this quite funny scene where the all the army like block them in and they're like we can't release you because one of you have not got vaccinated yet and then everyone's like well just tell us who and we'll tell them we'll make sure they get vaccinated so we can all leave and like no under new regulations we're not allowed to bully people against their beliefs not to get vaccinated even if it is bad for humanity like it's a very like sort of like tongue-in-cheek <laughs> sort of um thing but yeah i mean they're, they're not like they're definitely not as good as like the south park actual movie or any, any of this they're not like great episodes or whatever but yeah they were sort of funny to watch you know like haha covid <laughs> like, you know like uh, covid's a thing isn't it funny imagine if this was over and we could all laugh about things oh um, but yeah, I mean, if you get if you get Paramount Plus to check out Yellow Jackets, which you should, and you find yourself with some free time on your subscription after binge watching it, seven days for free, everyone to watch Yellow Jackets, uh, and you've got some days left, then yeah, check out the self like things, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I watched the Harry Potter special, twentieth anniversary special. Um, it was all right. Like it's not. If you're going to this hoping to find like a great behind the scenes documentary uh, reflection on the time period, this is not it. Uh, it definitely has been affected by COVID because there's obviously very small groups and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's cool to see the 
the everybody back on like the sets and that kind of stuff like interacting with each other seeing those core three cast members like in the same room um, Rupert Gwent's alive is the thing that shocked me I was like wow what where you been who's Rupert? alive Rupert Grant. oh yeah he's alive yeah yeah. Well, I mean, the other two, I mean, like, you see them often. Yeah, you like, see them a lot, yeah. But he kind of, yeah, he. Did, I don't think he followed acting much after that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's cool, obviously, seeing them all in the same room. Uh, the a solid laugh is they're all very happy that they look much better than the what they look like in the epilogue, so. Uh, <laughs> That's true, do they? They do. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know. It is broken up in obviously like eight, four different segments, like grouping together a bunch of movies. Um, and it does like kind of do like a brief uh, history of the movies. Um, yeah, I think coming out of this, I think the main takeaway I think is I have a lot more appreciation for what Christopher Columbus did in those first two movies uh, and like building the world and it's like getting the proper aesthetics and like casting <laughs> and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, and then also it's still awkward. Obviously, J.K. Rowling is barely in this. Uh, yeah, I read everything I is but this like a couple of, like archived interviews from like I googled because I wanted to know because I I want to watch it, but I was like I haven't got time yet. And it's like there's other stuff I'd prefer to watch first, but I do want to yeah. possibly get around to it. Um, but I did want to know the answer to that, so I googled I'm like J- is J.K. Rowling in this and found some article that was I think the article said that like yes yeah. she is mentioned but it's also always in a like quickly rush through here's some th- interviews that aren't obviously from this and were probably from years ago and they apparently there's always like a, a text or a font that says this interview was recorded in the year something something or like to like cover their yeah, like, like we didn't pay her we didn't pay her recently we haven't like yeah. talked to her recently like <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's 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 interesting. I, I kind of compared it to the, like the Friends special that they did a couple of months ago. I think this like this feels like more highly produced and like um, definitely more on a close set and less of like a fun get together. And like it's kind of weird because they like obviously brought back lots of people, but like they're barely in it. Like they bring back like Neville and uh, one of the other Gryffindor people to talk with. Uh, uh, Tom Felton for a little while but it's like f- maybe three minutes of <laughs> the entire special and that kind of stuff so it, yeah there's some odd bits and pieces in it but yeah I think for overall it, it got me nostalgic for that period of time in those movies so uh, yeah I think it was pretty good alright that, that's kind of the bulk of the television stuff Dylan tell me about the documentary Burning alright oh, Burning um, Burning was really good this was nominated for something, I think, but I can't remember off the top of my head, right? Was it nominated for? Was it nominated for something? Or am I making that up? Uh, I don't think uh, so. I swear it was. So, Burning is the... It came out this year, right? Last year. Like, it came out earlier last year. It's I think listed right? 2021. Yeah, that's last year. Oh, yeah. Stop. Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> got you, got you. Um, this is in a long line of uh, documentaries made about the Australian bushfires, uh, Black Summer, as it's sort of become known as, I guess, uh, 2019, 2020. Um, it's the 2015th million one I watched in the period of 2022. Well, it's not really, but I did watch a few. I, this is the best. Probably. This is the best one. This is the, the best one. Um, it's point of view of it. Well, 
it's hard because some of them a little bit less focused. Obviously, don't have much money. This one has more money behind it, and you can tell, obviously. Um, but I'd still say it's, it's it's hard not to say it's the best one. The point of view from it is obviously fires bad. Fires ruin people's lives. Fires uh, destroy the Australian forest that will take, you know, however long to grow back. Some Obviously, a bunch of it still doesn't grow back. Um, but I'd say the point of view, and I think it's just around 90 minutes or something, but the the direction is, like, very make sure to always sort of come in every 15 minutes and go, and what the fuck was Scott Morrison up to at this point? Like, its direction is, like, it does go into his, like, Hawaii trip. It does go into, like, his... Uh, the fact that has interviews with someone i can't remember his name or his official job title but someone who was on the australian government prior to him whose job was to basically look into stuff like bushfires and like environmental things and then sort of report back and be like hey here's my findings here's what's possibly going to happen we should probably prepare for this um and how he is all of his advice was basically I couldn't help but thinking about don't look up watching this, to be honest, because there was a lot of like, he's t- he's talking about stuff being like, you know, I said this, this, and this would happen, but it was like, nah, we'll be right. She'll be right, mate. Nah, don't worry about that. You know, like um, it covers a lot of the whole, um, how Australia's completely fucked up uh, for ages and how um, global warming was something that Morrison's government uh, would never want to talk about. Didn't want to bring it. Nah, it's not a real thing. It's not a real thing. You know, it makes sure to have the part in here of the fucking coal in 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 court and all that sort of stuff with old fuckface um so it goes into a lot of that stuff that's sort of the the direction of of it like it's it's it does go hey here's bushfires it doesn't have a lot of it has some interviews of people who were there and who lost their houses and stuff but it isn't a prominent factor it primarily focuses on is interviews with people being like he like some dude who's like a you know being a firefighter for years. He's like an other volunteer firefighter. Them talking about how bad they were from their perspective. Another dude being like, look, I talk, I tried to get my word through. I said for years that the fires were getting worse and worse and worse, and something really bad was going to happen, but no one would listen to me. So that's sort of the 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 focus is on how so many people were saying shit's going to happen. How so many people were saying you know global warming shit's going to happen, and how our government sort of is. Not entirely at fault because, of course, Mother Nature was the the sort of f- flick that lit the flame or whatever. But how they are the reason that Australia wasn't prepared to fight um, or help deal with the fires um, when they did happen. So that's sort of the the perspective of the documentary. But I'd say it's really good. It's definitely worth watching. It's on um, Prime. Awesome. Uh, I checked out a documentary on Binge called Beanie Mania. Uh, it follows the Rise and fall of Beanie Babies uh, during the 1990s. Um, really interesting following this, this like kind of cul-de-sac of women in Chicago where the craze sort of started off uh, and these women kind of be- rose to become major pro- people in this in the world of Beanie Babies. Like, one of them started, like, a magazine, another was, like, a big influencer. <laughs> like, this is 1990s as well. And, like... Uh, kind of explaining why Beanie Babies became such a massive craze uh, and then subsequently, like, kind of crashed and burned and that kind of thing. Um, really interesting look at uh, this craze um, and probably kind of super relevant given what's happening in the collectibles market at the moment with NFTs and, like, Pokemon cards and stuff. So, uh, you yeah. know, 
Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting uh, how these, some of these women are still making money off Beanie Babies. Like, ver- one of them, like, is a verifier of, like, proper Beanie, ba- Beanie, ba- Beanie Babies. Because at some point, like, there's, they were starting to ship in, like, fake Beanie Babies from China. Because, of course, that's that's what always happens and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. quite an interesting documentary. So, I would recommend checking that out. Uh we might quickly go over the a few of these because a lot of these are like stuff that I suspect that we watched trying to like narrow down our best movie or catch up for our best of 2021. Uh, Dylan, tell me about Riders of Justice. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen's wife dies and he would like revenge. However, this movie... <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's it's an odd one. It it does that similar sort of thing that I guess another round does, um, like where it's it's drama, serious film. However, it's not afraid at times to to fall into sort of a dark comedy. Although it's not entirely a dark comedy, like it just sort of flicks genres. Um, but the the setup is the movie opens with a sequence of events, um, like hey, someone gets their bike stolen. Oh, so someone gets their bike stolen, so, and it's his daughter's bike gets stolen. So then they, the mother goes to drive the the kid to school in the morning. She, oh no, the car breaks down. Oh no, then they have to catch a subway. They're on the subway. This dude comes along. He says, "Oh, he's sitting there." Um, he gives up his seat for uh, Mads Mikkelsen's wife. Then all of a sudden, big uh, I can't remember what the cause of it is. A bomb or something goes off. Um, and uh, then she dies. The daughter survives because she's standing, and the guy survives as well. So then the guy starts feeling bad because he's like, if I hadn't have given up my seat, the wife still would have been um, alive. Um, so he starts this whole thing of trying to track down why, the, what the cause of the bomb was. And like, we need to get justice for why this bo- who was the target of it? Like, I need to help. So then he tracks down Mads Mikkelsen's character and um, with some friends, they start basically this. That's why it's called Rise of Justice. They, they figure out who they think is the cause, which is this sort of mob leader dude who was also a bikey gang leader who was on the, on the train. And they're going to like, they're going to get justice for those who died because of him and especially his wife and stuff. Meanwhile, the daughter's like going through this crisis where she's like having boards in a room like she's doing full if you know like pinboardy things like if the bike if my bike hadn't got stolen like this happened this happened like all cause and effect sort of butterfly effect sort of thing so the movie both delves into like it's a revenge thing it's a you know what is the butterfly effect a real thing sort of movie uh mads milkerson's really good in it the supporting cast is really, really good. I can't remember their names because they're not like actors I would, I, I can say I've seen before, but, um, they're really like the two other, like they're really smart, but they're just odd characters who are brought in to help, like hackers and, um, this sort of stuff. But there's like one scene where some dude like has a complete mental breakdown because he's, um, the other dude's like computer and monitors aren't big enough and he can't use them. And it's just, it's really odd scene. And you just got Mads Mikkelsen standing there as the tough guy because that's what he plays in this movie, like tough guy with a beard or whatever. He, um, he comes back from, Iraq or wherever, I think he was stationed right after his wife dies, um, gets the call and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I think I'm glad that Mads continues to sort of dip back into his, um, you know, Danish roots. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, it's like a lot of Australian actors. What do they do? Fuck off and leave. They get popular. Fuck off and leave. He's really popular in Hollywood. Still come back, making time. Yeah. But it's good. Yep. Uh, tell me about Antlers. Um, Antlers was sort of one of the most anticipated, I feel, horror movies 
from last year that got delayed a couple of times and stuff like that. Um, the, I think, where did it end up? Oh, Disney is where it was. Yep. Cause it's fucking star or whatever. It was really weird to actually mm. have to, I was like, where is it? Disney? How old? Um, Carrie Russell plays the main character. She's a teacher. Sorry. It's been a, obviously, been, <laughs> I'm trying to like, it's been a, some of these ones were like right after the last episode. Now I'm like, it's been like a month and a half. Um, the, she's a teacher and she like starts feeling bad for this boy in her class who she can tell is sort of just a loner, um, pop, possibly having trouble at home. Uh, Jesse Plemons plays the, uh, her brother who she's staying with at the time and he's like the sheriff in town or whatever. So it's starting investigating the kid. Um, and, you don't really know. It's not a spoiler to say because you see it like within the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie or whatever. But you know, some sort of monster attacked this kid's father and his older brother. And periodically throughout the movie, you keep seeing this kid basically come back and feed them in their attic. And they're slowly getting more and more deformed throughout the movie going. And he's having trouble, like obviously dealing with that. And then you've got Carrie Russell investigating and stuff like that. So the I would say it's like, it like plays on, I guess, Lovecraftian like themes and monsters and stuff similar to that, or or maybe even um, I guess it would be more what do you call it? Like you know, from um, actually now that I've thought more about it, it's coming back to me. It's actually more because they put, they very briefly cover it at one stage of the movie. Um, like Native American folklore, um, like you know in. Well, you didn't play it, did you? Uh, was that really popular PS3 horror game? The one I'm fucking can't remember the name of. And then they, that studio makes all these, you know, all the other games. Super Until massive. Dawn. Until Dawn. So like Until Dawn has PS4 like, game. PS4 game, right? Um, you know, PlayStation podcast, PlayStation. Um, you know, they've got all these like monsters in it. It's I think it's based on similar sort of like similar backings or whatever, which I think is like Native American, like what do you want to call? It? What do you want to call it? Like. What would you call that? Like, Windingo? Yeah, Windingos, whatever, that, that sort of stuff. I think it's like that similar sort of stuff is where it would be based upon. Um, with maybe some Lovecraftian themes as well. I, I feel like as the direction goes. It's okay. I think it's shot well. Performances are okay. I just don't feel like it nails its themes or, or uses them appropriately, even though it, like, I, like I can pick up on them and like what's there, but I just don't feel like it does anything with them to make them stand out. Um, and just really doesn't hit the nail on the head for the ending. But yeah, I thought it was okay. I've seen some people say, like tweet and say it's like, it was bad and stuff. I think it was okay. All right. Tell, explain to me Psycho Gorman. <laughs> this nearly, this was the, this was the left field. I'd seen people talk about this movie a lot, obviously. Um, I guess in like the horror space or whatever you want to call it, it's like being a popular 2020, uh, 2021 movie release. And I kept being like, I gotta watch that one day, one day, one day, one day. And of course, it was one of those movies that got right down the end of the year. I'm like, fuck, I should finally watch Psycho Gorman, shouldn't I? Uh, so this, <laughs> the premise <laughs> of this movie, and it is purposely ridiculous, but boy, does it nail it. Like, it knows what this movie is and it fucking nails it. It's these. Two kids, and they 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 dig up. I think it is how it works. I can't even remember now. They dig up. I think it's the like this alien creature, like crash lands or whatever. They discover it, however it works, like which is Psycho Gorman. Um, but and it's gonna it was it's, it would annihilate everyone on Earth. It's it's a bad motherfucker. It wants to kill everyone. It's a bad guy. However, the kids, and by kids I mean maybe like ten. 
is the little girl and the she's like sort of the main character and then her brother as well. I think they're both maybe like around 10, 11 or something probably. Um, they dig up and discover a crystal gem thing, I think it is, which if holding, she gets to control. She tells him what to do. Like he has no control. All of a sudden she has control um, of him. So straight away, you think the movie's going to start and it's like, oh my God, these little kids are about to get killed, stuff like that. And um, Of course, little girl discovers a monster straight away there there she's telling it to do ridiculous things like play basketball with them um they're going in a clothes shopping trips and you've got this weird looking like alien monster thing going on trips and then you have like <laughs> i can't even spoil it all but but at some stage other monsters like come down it's it is the monster designs are fantastic i think like all the alien designs and stuff like that they're all real costumes they all look really really great also, I think the the kids' performances sort of make the movie because she's just like I want to say like evil maybe a bit too far, but it is that evil little girl thing where <laughs> she's got way too much power that a girl that with those sort of tendencies uh, should have. But I just it's just like it is a horror movie. Like it has moments of blood and gore. However, it's so over the top. It's like you could watch it. You know what I mean? Like it's not like it's not really meant to be scary. It's just sort of obviously ridiculousness and the finale of this movie of what happens and how everything ends up playing out is just nonsensical i don't even know like i was watching it going what the fuck am i watching like <laughs> just so confused but um yeah it's just it is it definitely straight away is that thing you watch and go i understand why this has a cult following and i'm happy to join it at this point because I, I i was hooked i was watching it going this is just great like it, it was just a fun time it was just a ridiculously fun time with a, a, a very silly movie a very silly premise but it just nails everything it knows exactly what it wants to be it wants to be an over the top uh on your nose silly horror movie doesn't take itself too seriously so ne- neither should you however because it's like a love letter to sort of those b movie c movie sort of stuff um it nails what it wants to do so they're, they're talking about doing a sequel but i'm like fuck i don't know if you might ruin it because it's just it's such a magic in a bottle scenario i, I feel that movie um but yeah I'd, I'd happily watch it again a few more <laughs> a few more times check it on and just enjoy it but um really really good all right uh talk to me about bar and star go to vista del bar um so obviously this one i managed to get jamie dawn and uh, through to our top five list best supporting actor comedy actor i think it was what yeah um it's it's i think it's most comparable to austin powers to be honest this movie um tone tonally uh christian wig and i can't remember the other actress's name because i don't really think i've seen her much i think obviously she must be in snl or something like that but not that i've seen if you look that up but um i think christian wig plays star but she also plays the bad guy and a very over the top bad guy makeup, bad guy vibes in a room looks like some over the top bad guy setting that you've seen in like Austin Powers movie. She's a bunch of henchmen. Have you found it? And Annie Momolo. There you go. That person. Um, so they're like, <laughs> it starts with them just having a really silly conversation. It's, and it's got like a, that Kath and Kim vibe, I guess, but it's like American Kath and Kim vibe where the way they just, these two characters talk to each other with, if, if does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like if Kath and Kim's yeah. like very Australian-y, they're like just that American housewife or whatever, I guess sort of thing. Neither are housewives though. 
Um, neither have husbands, which is an important point because they decide they're finally going to take a holiday and they take a holiday to wherever they go, Del Vista, whatever it is. Um, and when they go there, that's the place, unfortunately, that the evil character is, is, is planning to, uh, fucking attack with bees or something utterly ridiculous. I can't remember, like, kill a, kill, it's something silly. Um, trying to attack because when she was younger, um, she got made fun of there, which is what I'll leave it at because it's like a important point in the movie. Um, so she wants to get revenge on them all. So Jamie Dorman's, uh, Dornan's, uh, her boyfriend in quotation marks because he's in love with her. Although it make the movie makes it very obvious very early that she's just using him, doesn't care for him at all. So she sends him down there and he needs to be there in a couple of days to like press a button or whatever to activate this whole evil plot. Um, however, while at the beach house, he runs into Jamie Dornan's character, runs into Barb and Star, who they both, I think in their first night, end up having a three-way with him. And then afterwards, they all decide that they're in love with him. And then they each sneak out on one another to like have dates with him, which is a funny sequence of mo- uh, events. And I, I get, that's kind of the movie, I guess, to a degree, <laughs> is that it's just a weird sort of movie. Of course, I don't say like, how they get involved and end up saving the day and whatever the hell else happens. But that's sort of, it's like someone wants to destroy a town. Jamie Dorman's there. He has a fantastic sequence where he sings a song about seagulls. That's fucking amazing. I love it. It's awesome. Uh, there's a lot of it. He's really good in this. Not just that scene, but he's quite funny. Like he's, I think he proved in this movie, he can do comedy uh, quite well especially because it's that performance where he's not meant to be the funny one you know like he's the serious one the other two are doing the more like straight comedy performances so but he does it so well like coming along what they're doing so um but yeah i really liked it i know i think it's good i don't i, I know a lot of, pe- of people have actually put it in their top 10 lists and stuff like that i think and i, I think maybe not being american some of them some of the jokes don't hit as well for me as mm. maybe they do if you are american uh, again maybe that whole but they're Kath and Kim, but for Americans, I'm like, yeah, but I, I can see that, but I don't feel it within me. Like maybe it doesn't hit as well, but yeah. So I think it's good, but I know a lot of people love it. And it's sort of one of those random movies I've seen pop up in people's lists that I reckon a lot of people don't even realize this movie released last year. Cause I think it went straight to streaming services. So yep. it was like a straight to pay VOD or whatever. I think. Yeah. It was a straight to VOD movie. I yeah. think. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, talk to us about St. Maud. Uh, St. Maud is, uh, it's an A24 horror movie that's not made by A24. Um, it's this girl, St. Maud, who, uh, well, Maud, who's a Cara, I think is what, yeah. Like she's, she's the nurse or whatever that lives with someone who, you know, is dying or has like, needs a 24-7 Cara or whatever. And she lives with this person, but you know the entire time she has like something that's off just about her and she's sort of, as it's it's hard because it's not there's not too much of a story to it other than it's just a very slow build mood piece um that sort of obviously explodes towards the end but th- it plays into a lot of themes of i guess religion um primarily religion i guess and what that can what people can believe in and what may make them true mental illness i guess is another thing and stuff like that i think it's good i think i've seen a lot of people top this or at least top five this in their best horror movies of last year i think it was just a bit too strong out for me again i think it should have like if it had been tightened up it would have been a lot better but um yeah definitely one of the better horror movies that released out of last year if i if i was to do a top 10 list it would be on it but 
not my top five. Okay. Uh, what about the documentary Val? Val's very good. Uh, the Val Kilmer documentary, uh, where it's told from, it's, it's obviously he's not dead. So just to clarify, in case you didn't know, <laughs> um, but his son does the narration because Val Kilmer had, um, was it throat cancer? Yeah. yeah throat cancer. Um, he's recovering from it, but of course he's lost most of his like voice and he has, um, the speech thingy, boxing. I don't know what they're actually called. I'm sorry, but, um, and then he's, um, now he's trying to talk properly. Um, but it's just, it's hard to understand him at times. He does talk in the movie, but obviously it's just, he has to, um, he wouldn't be able to do the full movie narration and stuff like that. But, um, it's just him talking about his life, just being like, Hey, I had all this footage from my years. Um, I feel like now's a great time to make this movie. Cause I just have, you know, it's one of those, like you, you have a near death experience, I guess. And he just wants to sort of celebrate life and talk about things. And that's what the movie's about. It's just him via, just talking about how he, he grew up, um, his love of movies, uh, his family's love of movies. Um, there's some things I didn't know about him in here. Like he lost a, one of his brothers when he was really young. They used to make a lot of family movies together. Um, he's, he had some financial trouble for his dad. Um, that was quite interesting to learn about. Um, it covers everything through to even, you know, Batman uh, Forever. And the funny thing I learned about that, that was which he hated making that. And they actually asked him to come back for the next one. But he was like, nah, fuck that shit. <laughs> uh, which is quite funny. Um, all the way up into his most recent stuff, of course. And um, talks about his final performances and like what he hopes to do in the future and stuff. But yeah, I think in general, it's not like a... It doesn't dive into any particulars, of course, because it's he's involved and he's there. And maybe there isn't any, but it doesn't like have any like dark side to Val or whatever. It's just sort of yeah. like if you like Val Kilmer, if you like his movies, if you'd like a little bit more backstory, some interesting tidbits from those movies, especially his most popular ones, of course, um, then this is like uh, an interesting watch. Uh, a film that I watched uh, was Little Fish. So this was like a sci-fi romantic com- uh, drama uh starring olivia cook and jack o'connell uh following this couple who are also in the middle of like a massive pandemic uh this pandemic however is causing people to lose their memories so it's like a wide this sudden like dementia wave is crossing the country um and like people are starting to just slowly losing their memories uh, either all at once or like slowly over time, um, and of course one of the peop- the uh, Jack O'Connell's character starts to show symptoms uh, of him starting to lose his memory, and it's about them trying to deal with that. And like, uh, yeah, it's it's very timely. <laughs> There's like elements that like would kind of ring true with what we've seen recently of like they're working on a cu- trying to figure out a cure and like. Uh, you know, when when there's a potential that there's going to be human trials for certain things, there's like hundreds and hundreds of people waiting outside places trying to get uh, an opportunity of potentially getting a cure for that kind of thing. And, uh, and then there's all these potential home remedies that are being put out that are worse than the actual disease itself and that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was really good. Jack O'Connell and Olivia Cook give great performances. Um was pretty close to being on my top 10 for the last year, but, you know, I don't know, just something, something didn't quite click. I didn't really love the ending of the film. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was quite good. 
Uh, Dylan, last, before we jump to the mandatory Netflix segment of the show, there is a movie I believe you do not, you want to get people to avoid watching. Oh. Battleground Melbourne. Yeah, I fuck it. It's, I nearly feel like bad talking about it. But if you see, look, let me put it this way. If you see anyone tweeting about this movie, talking about this movie, uh, Battleground Melbourne, maybe, if you live outside Australia, you probably wouldn't have heard about it. But like, there was a whole, they did a whole Kickstarter or fucking whatever. I remember seeing that you know, mid last year or whenever the money was being raised to make this. And at the time thinking, ha ha, he won't even make it. Betcha it falls through. Anyway, uh, he made it. Uh, Topher Fields, the fuckface director who made it. Um, don't sue me. And then he, so basically they're all anti-vaxxers, you know, anti-maskers, anything. But the whole movie, so obviously it's a gender is fuck Dan Andrews for the most part. That's sort of the thing. Dan Andrews is Hitler. He ruined Melbourne. He's ruined the, the greatest city in the world. Like, that's sort of their take on everything. Um, I gave this a one on track, obviously, by the way. Um, the, but the thing that makes it even worse, it is just I will so. Say, <laughs> yes. It's currently sitting at a 5.5. 5. There's only two reviews. So. Someone gave it. Well, how's that? Someone What's- gave it a 10. You've given it a one. Ah, mass, eh? Um,. Fucking, that means the tractors, fuck faces on it. Um, but yeah, it's, and it's, I don't know why I kept watching it, to be honest. I, again, I feel bad I watched it all. It is free on YouTube. So to be too clever, I didn't pay for it. You don't have to pay for it. It is free on YouTube. I think that was sort of the thing, like, fund us, how much money they got, and we'll make this movie that shows the true story of what's happening to the, the real people being affected in Melbourne or something. I think that was the pitch. Um, it goes for like an hour 40 or something. It's fucking long. And it's all just talking heads uh, incorporated with like news stories from Sunrise, 7 News, whatever, 10 News, whatever. You know, it's, that's all it is. Or interviews of Dan Dan Andrews from TV and stuff like that. So it just covers the anti-vaxxer, anti-lockdown, whatever you want to call them, point of view on what's been happening for the last couple of years uh, through COVID times, obviously, in Melbourne, which is the most lockdown city in the world. Um, that's not them overselling it it is the most lockdown city uh, in the world um but their point of view is quite often just nonsensical to be <laughs> to be honest like anytime where it's like you could be like yeah i understand like they'll be like like it's just hard being locked down for this you're like yeah like i understand that and that really sucks or whatever and they'll be like you know like dan dan andrews like he's ruining lives he's, he's basically killing people and stuff like that and all you know like suddenly it's just like takes such a you know what i mean like it would be like Every time mm. someone new appears, you're like kind of like, oh yeah, like this, maybe this is the one person. No, straight away. Tool talk um, sense. <laughs> yeah, but they're all just completely off. I mean, even like it's funny because as we're recording now, uh, Melbourne had another mass protest or whatever like a couple days Oof. ago, and I saw that pop up on Twitter after having watched this, where everyone in this is like, we're sick of lockdowns. Um, we want to be free. We've lost our freedom. So many people in this say, we've lost our freedom. We've lost our freedom. I'm like, like they compare it to Nazi Germany. I'm like, like the fact you can go out and protest and at worst get pepper sprayed (laughs) and you're not dying. You're not getting taken to fucking concentration camps or whatever. Like, like comparing it to Nazi Germany is just so fucking dumb. Like, I I mean, everybody compares everything to them most extreme thing possible so i mean but they say it so like that that is always their go-to they're like living in melbourne's like living in nazi germany that's what it's like um but yeah they were protesting again this week and i'm like what are you protesting like 
it's it's done. We're all got COVID now. Like, what's the? Isn't that what you wanted? You know what I mean? Yeah, you like, fucked us all. Yeah, like, isn't that the thing? They're like, no, nah, we're still going to protest. No, it haven't spread enough. That's what the problem is. Yeah, fucking. I mean, people in this are just like, oh, first I want you to get a vaccine. Like, take your mask on, take your mask off. It's like, they're like, oh, where, where are you even getting its information from? They say it's a scientist, but I don't see where that is. Like, it's just a lot of like, <laughs> like they say it's a science, but they don't show us and all this fucking bullshit. Anyway, it's terrible. Don't watch it. Um, I watched it because I couldn't help myself. It was like watching a train crash. You or watched whatever. it, so we didn't have to. Yeah, it's um, it's important to know I didn't get indoctrinated, so I'm strong. So oh, good. So it's not. <laughs> it's fine. I survived. I didn't come out the other end going, you know what? You are right. Yeah. Fuck Dan Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> From what I understand, it, it, it would have been difficult to get indoctrinated since you can't hear everybody over. Anybody. That's true. That's the other thing I should say. That's the worst thing. Like. It's not. A, it's just a bad movie. <laughs> like, let alone the, the topic of it. Just um, it's badly put together. Actually. It's badly put together. It's badly edited. The sound mixing's terrible. Um, the pacing between edit, like interviews, like like melding into one another and everything like that is just like fucking. It's just whiplash. It's it's it's. I don't. It's 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 a very badly made documentary, let alone offensive, yeah. <laughs> like to to brain cells. I mean, yeah. Yeah, if you've seen All the clip I, can- I uploaded on Twitter, it shows this, this again, this woman, whoever she is complaining about, we, we, we may be able to leave the city one day. We may be able to, try, to travel internationally, but will we have our freedom? Will we? We won't. We won't really. And it's got this really loud, like, piano sad music playing, and it cuts this other dude, fuckface, um, talking, and it's just like the music just <laughs> drops instantly. Like, quick. It's like... The government's fucked us. The government's over fucked us. And the other government's fucked us. It's like, where'd the music go? Like, what was this? <laughs> what was the transition? It's so rare. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. Uh, let's talk about a movie that we've brought up a couple of times in reference to. Don't look up the latest Adam McKay film starring Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and a who's two of Hollywood. Uh, in which it turns out giant comet about to come hit the planet earth uh jennifer lawrence and leonardo DiCaprio go to the president and say hey giant comet coming board worth and he's like meryl streep playing the president goes that's not good for our numbers we'll get onto it later uh and then you know shit goes from there uh dylan what do you think of don't look up i like it i think it's too long bit too on the nose um but ultimately i i enjoyed watching it i i think that there's definitely some funny parts in here i think the fact that i've brought it up several times like like as reference points like even when i was in canberra visiting sheree like and because she uh watches well i'd see something or read something i'd be oh this reminds me of that scene and don't like it's like the fact i've referenced it several times i'm like it's it must like it says something like I'm not saying it's the best movie ever made but like it has <laughs> there's some funny things like i can't there's one scene at the right at the end i don't spoil everything i guess in case people want to watch it but there's like always this one scene at the end where they literally do the don't look up moment that i just think is like just it's so on the nose and it's like dumb it's not even like the it's not like you'd be like oh what a perfect written scene but it just works <laughs> i'm just like it just works for everything that's sort of having covid bushfires um, global warming. Like, you could use it for so many things and it's like the perfect sort of encapsulism of uh, how dumb both people are in the world and how dumb the government's 
like nearly all around the world are for dealing with this sort of shit. So, um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty funny. I just think it's way too long. I think there's a subplot in it, a romance subplot that's totally unnecessarily needed. You take that entire thing out, I think it makes the movie so much better. I don't love Leo in it. Don't hate him in it. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the characters are more or less non-existent. Like, bit, they're not really characters. They're just sort of shells to move this, like, the, the bits that are happening around them. They don't really have much to them. So, other than that. But, yeah. I don't... I, it's funny. A lot of people are like... This movie's amazing. It's going to win an Oscar. Other people, I guess I'm more in there like, yeah, it's good. I guess like it's fine. Like it's, I enjoyed watching it. And then you have the like, this movie is bad. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I definitely, I agree with all your points, but I just don't like it as much as you. <laughs> it's kind of very indifferent on a lot of the movie. Uh, and just seeing some of the action around it has been kind of turned me off a little bit. It's like, Seeing people go, oh my god, this movie is so amazing. It is so real. This is what would really happen. It's like, go watch a fucking documentary, man. (laughs) (laughs) Go watch Bernie. (laughs) You know? No. It doesn't have Leonardo DiCaprio on it, so what's the point? Um, Yeah, I mean, there's some funny bits, like you said, that, that, you know, to look up moment. Um, And then, like, it's kind of got, like, a super depressing ending. Which I appreciate. Yeah, um, I like how they don't sugarcoat it. Like, even though it's a comedy no. for the most part, like a dark comedy, I guess it's just like that's the no. point of the movie. Like, like shit's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of like that. It's, it's it's you know it's meant to be a satire, but it's like that same situation. That, like, Saturday Night Live found themselves with Donald Trump like doing the most outrageous shit every week. How do you satire something that's so real, real and yeah. terrible? It's like yeah, I know it's funny because I. I've seen a lot of people point out too, and I think rightfully so. They're like, because I guess the, the argument Adam McKay would make, or we presume he would make for how on the nose the movie is, is that, but yes, this will help people understand what's happening in the world. But I've seen other people point out that most likely the only people watching this movie are already the people who are aware of the fact that it's what it's satiring and like well aware more politically or or whatever. So really it's not doing the same or or reaching the masses or the groups of people that Adam McKay thinks he is, I guess, touching, which I think is a sort of valid criticism or point about how, because it is very on the nose on purpose. And that's sort of what is it's to its detriment, you know, sort of, brings the the tone down in such a weird way yeah absolutely all right uh next up season six of queer eye can you believe it had been over a year since we got a season of queer eye i think that might have been the longest time period between seasons well there's usually what like less than 12 like usually two a year basically yeah almost yeah uh but yeah amazing still like it still got me i think it it's actually really interesting obviously that first episode um they go through the the five days or whatever and then covert shuts down prediction production and yeah, they, they must have t- they must have filmed at what like early 2020 i guess is yeah um so with this mother who's having issues with his daughter do- daughter um and all this other stuff um, and then they, it's interesting because they come back a year later. It's not like they cut to the house. They've got this fun video package all put together, which yeah. raises questions about, you know, uh, 
how they do those segments, I guess. Like, they leave people they... behind to film them is how I've always just... And and then they go back. They don't watch their video until like they don't. I guess a they month watch or it so like later. A, I assumed it's always just like a week or less than a week. Hmm. But yeah, they go back a year later, and I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> I kind of wish they did that with uh, yeah more. I'm, I'm gonna be the exact same. As soon as I saw that happen, I was like, "Why aren't we doing this for s- basically everyone?" Like. Or, or, or why aren't you just doing a spin-off series where you do? But I don't get you it. You go back and visit the the people. If you film it over several months, by the time you're getting around to filming the last episode, check back in with the first people. You know what I mean? Like you've you've got the span of time. Hmm. Or just happily sit on it for a couple of months. You're not going to release it straight away anyway. Sit on it for a couple of months and then just come in, film the segments where you have the, the Fab Five call in and then it's not like they require much production to then cut into the end of each episode. You've already edited them. You've just got to cut these other bits in. Just leave it. it I, yeah. I think it would elevate the episode a lot, to be honest. I think it would be really interesting because obviously you see like the effects. One, like uh, Jonathan's like, health self-care and like grooming stuff how they've taken that on what how what they've taken from like tan's fashion elements they're able to interview them and talk about what effect trauma's influences had on them i mean antonio doesn't do anything but then imagine if you go to their house and see how they've ruined all the bobby's work in the year since yeah that would be great uh but yeah i thought they got a bunch of really good interesting people this season um yeah, and, 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 like, especially with COVID and, like, uh, that kind of stuff. Well, it's a heavy like COVID focus season, I guess. Focus season. Like, obviously, they, they help a bunch of kids at their school prom, like, have a school prom. I didn't love that. You didn't love that? No. It felt very weird because I'm like, there's other kids here, right? Oh, yeah. School. Why is it just these? Yeah. So, they've kids. got, like, 10, yeah, 8, 10 kids or whatever that they, like, pay, they... They, they pay for all their clothing. They chuck them this big party or whatever. Obviously, they redo part of the school or whatever. But I'm like, other kids were coming here. I understand these are like the A-plus students or whatever, the ones that are doing all the hard work or whatever, and they're part of the the, the team or whatever. But it just felt a bit weird like to be like, well, we're going to make sure these are okay. But I'm like, what about the rest of the kids? What about the rest that are stuck at home? Um, mental health is deteriorating because they're stuck and can't like talk to people or whatever. Like It just, it just felt – that was the one where that felt a little off to me. Like, That's I enjoyed fair. it. Maybe in hindsight, but yeah, I enjoyed it in the moment. But yeah, there's a lot of other ones. Like, I really like the the uh, baking, the lady. That was good. Yeah, making the... Um, what the All the Japanese, the, the yeah. Asian pastries. And With like, the barrettes and shit. Yeah, really good season. I really enjoyed it. Queer I enjoyed Eye. most Feel of good. it. What, was there something you didn't enjoy? Uh, let me quickly... I just brought it up, so... Like, first episode, I mean, here's my ratings. First episode, okay. This, that's the one we're talking about. It's a woman. Um, daughter wants her to, like, act her age, I guess, mostly. Uh, <laughs> second one is uh, trans powerlifter. Powerlifter. Power yeah. I think that was my favorite episode, probably. That was, like, the most sort of, like, queer eye feeling story. Yeah. Like, actual, like, helping someone a lot, I felt. Third episode, no more. The, the rancher dude, didn't like that one. Didn't really like him. Whatever. I was like, get out of here. It was okay. Like, again, this is my, like, I, like I've like i given it a seven on track because I'm like, it was okay. But, like, my personal feelings are like, I didn't really like the dude. So, like, 
I'm not writing it lower because of that, but that's just my like. <laughs> uh, the night to remember thing. That's the school one again. I just felt a little bit weird about that one. Uh, the crab dude one I quite liked because it was all about like his wife, and you could tell he just has been able, unable to like sort of move on after the passing of his mm. wife. I felt again that felt like more in tone with probably what the show has been always. Um, yeah. Next one is that I quite like the next one, which was the woman who's like set up the clinic to do like vaccinations and stuff like that. It does a heavy uh, coronavirus turned episode, obviously. Uh, she's got no time to herself, obviously affecting her family life and stuff like that. That was a good one. Um, the animal one was, I think, the one I cried the most. In. <laughs> I wasn't my <laughs> like she like she was okay. I don't know. Like ultimately, I can't look back. They didn't give her like too much of a life changing experience. I don't really feel like like compared to some other people. However, I think what she was doing, just being like getting told about what she does for people, or whatever, that was the the thing. And I and also seeing Anthony just weirdly like like gravitate and like hook onto her so yeah. like you could tell like like that was a real moment for him like that wasn't some faked like reality tv show bullshit where mm. you could tell he just sort of fell for this woman and not even like like not romantically but like he was like oh this is yep. amazing like the stories were like just hitting him in the heart straight away uh the next one was i quite like I, I thought next one was good too the the dude who was like um at first you're like what's this dude Sally? but he's like hel- helping out all these shells for homeless people um, all this stuff that's always great to see, especially with the, the high rate of homeless people around the world, especially in America. Um, yeah, I joined the the baking one. That was good too. Um, little, uh, helping her out with her business, her, like, her workplace, and then her, her look and vibe and stuff like that. And then the last episode was okay, I guess. Like the dude who's just struggling with um, being, uh, being creative. He was like a, a up-and-coming rap star, COVID-affected performances. But ultimately, in the scheme of things, and not not to say like his mental health isn't as important as anyone else's, but I feel like it's just in like an episode ranking, I feel like just that being the finale, I was a bit like, oh, that's the last one. Like To be honest, they've never been very good at like, no, like ordering properly them. ordering them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Queer Eye. Six seasons. Looking forward to season seven. Uh, Dylan, tell me about the animated sh- movie Extinct. Animated movie Extinct. It's about those little animals that have a hole in their belly. Oh, fuck. This thing was shit. Um, <laughs> completely forgot about it. Yeah, this thing was bad. This is a bad movie. Um, <laughs> this... Yeah, so what What are their names on? Let me see if it quickly says it. Um, don't, flummels. Here we are. So it's about this species of animals called flummels. Obviously, this is a kids' movie. Uh, flummels. They're they're donut shaped, and then the plot is basically that they I can't even remember how now they somehow time travel um, into the the future, and they learn that they actually become extinct. Hence the name of the movie. And then they run into all these other animals that are like becoming extinct. And then this other animal, this dog, is like in charge of this like time traveling place where he's like pulling them all in. So he like pulls in a dinosaur and a dodo and all this sort of stuff and all like working together. Anyway, the plot of the movie is that the Flummels, these two characters played by um, Adam Devine and Rachel Bloom are trying to work to stop their species from becoming extinct somehow and get back to their time period and stop stuff that happening. The cast is actually interesting. So you got Zazie Beetz, Kendra Young, Young plays character. Jim Jeffries plays a uh, uh, Tasmanian tiger so that had to get australian i guess catherine uh catherine O'Hara? no yeah let's yeah. double check yes uh she plays the the uh 
Oh, the fucking Elm, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then Reggie Watts is really good in this. Quite enjoyed seeing him in this. I'd love some Re- Re- Reggie Watts. And there's other people in this, like Benedict Wands in it and everything. Harry mm. Winkler. Like, the cast is good, but it's just a bad movie. Like, the jokes didn't land for me. I didn't find it that entertaining. Um, I watched this at Shree's with a child, so I could see. Did, uh, doesn't get child approval either. I don't think this is getting a replay. This isn't. This isn't a <laughs> like. There's no way this it's, is a. Yeah. Let's put on extinct. This isn't happening, right? So adults didn't like it. Kid didn't like it. Nah, thumbs down. All right. Uh, last one. You watched uh, most of the series, Catching Killers. Uh, yeah, this one's okay. Like, this is just like in that, this is just in that reign of Netflix puts out a million fucking crime doco things and some <laughs> of them are bad, some of them are really good, some of them are just okay. This falls into that ranks. Uh, the first episode was good. The first episode was pretty good. Not, not a story I knew. The second episode was, um, I can't remember her name, but the, it's the movie that I knew the story cause it's, uh, fuck, mental blank of a fucking name. Uh, from Charlie Theron had done this movie years ago, like Monster. 2003 monster, I think. Yeah. Um, and that's the, the story. Like that's the one, that one was less interesting. Third one's a bit better. I haven't watched part two of it yet, but yeah, it's like, it's that whole like good. Okay. Okay. Maybe the last one's okay. Good. So overall, but yeah, nothing special, but it's, it's All right. watchable. Yeah. All right. And that's everything that we've been watching. Holy fuck. Yep. <laughs> Um, yeah, we probably should not take another month long break again. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not, that's actually not even everything I've been watching, to be honest. Like, if I look at my track history, there is stuff here that we haven't talked about. And not to say that I need to, I'm just like clarifying. I thought I hit most of it, but yeah, okay. Like, let me just run down. I'm not going to talk about it because I don't, I think it's fine. And none of this is like big enough, but it's like, I watched The Croods, I watched The Good Dinosaur. Oh, yeah. I watched I that other that. Tiger King series, the Doc Antle one. Um, I watched Twister. <laughs> okay. So uh, I did cher- cherry pick some stuff. Yeah. I watched the Paranormal Activity recent movie. Um, I thought you talked about that before. No, nah, I watched First Cow. Till Death. You talked about that. You talked about that on the best of, though. I did. So, yeah. But I yes. oh, yeah, Till Death. Come true, Death of Twenty Twenty One. Um, I finally watched Heels, which I only briefly talked about when you talked about it in your top ten thing or whatever. Um, I finished Ted, Ted Lasso. That was alright, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it's pretty good. Sparks Brothers, but obviously that was my list. Twas the Night Before Christmas, crazy documentary. Um, in the Heights, I finally watched. Velvet Underground, I watched. Tick Tick Boom, I finally watched. I can't remember if that was the last episode or not. Maybe it was. Anyway, there was some stuff. Yeah. Just, to, just the same. Like that was all that, and there was still stuff. So, guess what? And we still got three, four segments to go. <laughs> imagine if, in that time off, I hadn't have actually gone on a trip somewhere, and I'd just been staying at home watching stuff. We would have been here for five hours because I would have just watched nothing. But <laughs> all right, uh, all right. Let's move on to the next thing on our agenda: our tracked 2021 year in reviews. So every year. Uh, we go back using the excellent, uh, TV and movie tracking service tracked, uh, which if you have a VIP membership, you get your full 2021 year in review. You can access it any time of the year. You don't need to wait for them to send it out to you like a certain other, uh, service in which you use 
people use films and give five stars to everything. You don't have to wait till them to send it to you. Letterbox. Uh, yeah. Tracks, you can access your year in review at any point and you get a bunch of cool stats. So, yeah, we're just going to run through our uh, statistics. Uh, start off with Dylan. What was the first thing you watched in 2021? First thing I watched in 2021 on January 1st at 12 p.m. Or 12 something. Yeah, 12 whatever, 3 p.m. Yes, p.m. Bump. Impressive because it came out that day. <laughs> Episode one. Cool. My first play was January 2nd, uh, 10.05 p.m. Uncut Gems. Wow. <laughs> Coolies. Different. Pretty sure it was uh, like a, some sort of catch up. Yeah, I assume that was you watching it to decide if uh, all the raving about it being best movie material was worth it. Yep. All right. How many hours of television? Did you watch in 2021? I watched 479 hours of 88 TV shows. All right. I watched 778 hours of 82 television shows. That does not surprise me. It, it's, a, it's a high number. Uh, so that what does that average out to? Uh, what do I look at? It's how many hours per day? Oh, per per month. Oh, per day. Uh, one point three. Yeah, so I'm at two point one hours per day. Television. What's your most popular time? Uh, it's currently says twelve p.m. But let's be honest, it's it. A lot of these are probably off time wise. <laughs> mine's nine p.m. Interesting. Yeah, mine's like twelve p.m. or like next up's like two. Which is surprising because I th- would have thought like 5 p.m. would have been the best because that's like when a lot of the things drop. So 9 p.m. would make sense to me because it's quite often after we finish recording something and then I watch like an episode or something yeah. after we record. Hmm. All right. So, what are your top five most played shows of 2021? All right. My number one most played show. Actually, no, I'll do them the opposite way. Top five, you said? Can I just, I'll, yeah, I'll top give you the full hours. I'll run down my top 10. I just won't give that out. Okay, do the top 10. Number 10 was Lego Masters. Number 9, because I watched all of it. Number 9 was The Bad Batch. Number 8 was Bluey. <laughs> number 7. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. It, it goes like- off plays, not hours, is the thing, I think. Oh, uh, no. Oh, yeah, it's plays. It's plays, yeah, is the thing. It goes off plays and not hours. That's less impressive. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, number 8, Bluey. Number 7, Bump. At least you know I wrap Australia up in here. Number six, yeah. AEW Rampage. All right, so number five uh, was Demon Slayer with 26 plays, 10 hours, 13 minutes. Number four was Fast and Furious Spy Races, 33 plays, 13 hours, and 45 minutes. Check about the po- podcast. <laughs> it's about family. <laughs> Redux. Yeah. <laughs> number three was Being the Elite. 49 plays for 12 hours and 15 minutes. Number two was AEW Dynamite. 52 plays, three days, two hours and 32 minutes. Didn't miss an episode. Did not miss an episode. And my number one most played show of 2021 was Superstore. 
87 plays for one day, six hours and 31 minutes. So AEW Dynamite would be my most watched show hours-wise. Superstore was my most played show. Nearly finished it. I've got a few episodes left, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Good to know because my number 10 show was Superstore. My number nine show was Demon Slayer. Number eight show, Ted Lasso. Number seven show, Titans. Number six, Bad Batch. And number five is Soul Opposites with six hours and 40 minutes for 16 players. Number four is Brooklyn Nine-Nine with 23 players, eight hours and two minutes. Number three is Cowboy Bebop, the animated series. Uh, 26 players, 10 hours, three minutes. Do you watch it uh, twice? No. no. Just 26 oh, no, episodes. 26. Oh, fuck. That's all right. I thought you said the, the live action one for a second. I was like, no. oh my God. I specifically said the animated. Oh my God. Uh, number two, New Amsterdam, 64 players, one day, 21 hours and 37 minutes. Uh, my number one show with 117 players over 14 days, 23 hours and 53 minutes. Critical role. Ah, oh, that, yeah, that's right. That makes sense. Yeah, I caught up this season. So. That was early in the year, wasn't it? Yeah, I, got, I was like caught up in April, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, what are your top. I know. Top 10 genres. Number 10. Animation. 3%. 7 shows. Number 9. Mystery. 4%. 8 shows. Number 7. Crime. 7%. 14 shows. Action. 9%. 18 shows. Adventure. 9%. 18 shows. Comedy. uh, What is it? 5. 10%. 20 shows. Number 4. Documentary. 10%. 21 shows. Uh, number three, fantasy, 10%, 22 shows. Number two, science fiction, 10%, 22 shows. And number one, drama, 15%, 32 shows. How many total genres did you have listed? No, it's just above the thing it says. Oh, 210 genres on 41 networks. Okay. Uh, so my number 10, superheroes at 4%, nine shows. Number nine is documentary, 4% nine shows. Mystery is also 4% nine shows. So seven is animation, uh, 6% 15 shows. Six is comedy, 9% 23 shows. Five is action, 11% 28 shows. Adventure is 11, 28 shows. Number four. Number three is fantasy, 13% 32 shows. Science fiction at number two for 13% 32 shows. And then drama at number one, 17%, 42 shows. And that's 250 genres at 43 networks. Wait. I don't know what these other genres are. Two, well, what's the two networks I haven't watched? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Anime things, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. Togochi TV? Yeah, I don't know. A Beamer? Yeah, it might be anim- a bunch of anime stuff. Mo- I assume your most watched network is Netflix? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. All right, that's all the information about TV. Let's move into movies. Dylan, how many movies and how many hours did you watch this year? I watched 500 hours of 255 movies. I watched 263 hours of 135 movies. Yeah, I, I usually, I think every year I beat you, smash like more than double my TV, and then I always have more movies than you. And I'd like to think I use my time better. 
what was your heaviest week? What What's the most movies you watched in one week? Um, yep, well, that adds up. It is week two, 22 players, January 4th to January 10th. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, that's impressive. Uh, my highest is eight. That's it. Sometime in July. How many? Eight movies. Oh. Oh, I thought you meant like eight week, like week eight or something. No, it was week 28. Yeah, I've, it, other than, so the f- week two, 22 players, and then week three, 19 players. So our holidays at start of the year. But other Same. than that, everything's like pretty like, like even like up, down, up, down, like pretty average coverage. <laughs> okay. That makes me feel better. Uh, so... How many hours does that equate to per day? Uh, per day, 1.4. Okay. Well, I got 0.7 per day, so hours of movies. See, 1.4 a day is a movie a day, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I watched half a movie a day, apparently. Yeah. According to players, so. Uh, all right. What is your top five watched movies of 2021? All right. So, just reading backwards... I'll skip the hours. Uh, number 10 was WWE Royal Rumble. Number 9 was The Dry. Number 8 was... Fuck, hold on. My thing just froze. Um, number 8 was AEW Double or Nothing. Number 7 was AEW Full Gear. Number 6 was New Japan Wrestle Kingdom 15 Night 2. <laughs> All right. See, I don't count. <laughs> yeah, they count. But I, I'm not sure. Cho- like, I would untick a box. You know what I mean? Like, if I could, mm. I would uncheck a box. At the end of this, we'll make recommendations yeah. for track next year. Like, I would uncheck to include wrestling things. But under their system, they count as movies, so. But yeah, my number five is New Japan Wrestle Kingdom 15 Night 1, because it goes for four hours, nine minutes, one play. Mm. My number four is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, four hours, 24 minutes across two plays. Number three was The Suicide Squad. Four hours, 24 minutes, two plays. Number two was The Fast and Furious 9. Four hours, 46 minutes, two plays. And number one, unsurprisingly, was Zack Snyder's Justice League. Eight hours and four (laughs) minutes with two plays. All right. Uh, My number 10 is Prisoners. Number nine is Dune. Number eight is Eternals. Number seven, No Time to Die. Number six, Avengers Endgame. Uh, number five at three hours, two minutes is Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition. Number four is Zack Snyder's Justice League at four hours, two minutes. Number three is Bo Burnham Inside, four hours, 21 minutes, three plays. Uh, Shang-Chi comes in at number two, or Shang-Chi comes in at number two, four hours, 24 minutes with two plays. And my number one is Spider-Man No Way Home, four hours, 56 minutes, two plays. Oh, you watched it twice. That's right. I did watch it twice. I forgot. Uh, Give us your top 10 genres in movies. (laughs) Uh, Number 10. uh, Crime, 5%, 30 minutes. Movie, sorry. 
Number nine, documentary, 5% 30 movies. Number eight, fancy, 5% 36 movies. Number seven, adventure, 8% 53 movies. Number six, thriller, 8% 54 movies. Number five, science fiction, 8% 56 movies. Number four, horror, 9% 57 movies. Number three, comedy, 9% 58 movies. Number two, drama, 12% 78 movies. And number one, action, 14% 95 movies. Uh, 661 genres from 50 studios. All right. Number 10, crime, 3% 13 movies. Number 9, thriller, 4% 16 movies. Number 8, documentary, 6% 22 movies. Number 7, superhero, 6% 23 movies. Number 6, fantasy, 8% 30 movies. Number 7, drama, 8% 32 movies. Number 4, uh, science fiction, 9% 35 movies. 3 is comedy, 11% 42 movies. Adventure is at number 2 with 13%. 48 movies and action number one, 15%, 57 movies, 384 genres across 50 studios. 50 studios number- as well? What? Was that 50 studios as well? 50 studios as well. What would you most watch from? Marvel. <laughs> Mine was Warner Brothers. Whoa. Interesting. Uh, all right. Who is your most watched? Five top. Most watch actors. I think our list may be very similar <laughs> because of well the content we've put out this year. Mine's affected by the wrestling, so I'm wondering if I if I go down, if I can find. Like, hold on, let me. You do yours because I want to see if I can just All like. Right. So my top five is Mark Ruffalo, four shows, three movies. No, four movies, three shows. That's interesting. Uh. Chris Evans, six movies, two shows. Benedict Wong, Benedict Wong, seven movies, one show. J.K. Simmons at number two, seven movies, two shows. Number one, Stan Lee, in fifteen movies. All right, so I'm I've gone down, so I can just like because it's got the top twenty-five or whatever the hell it is, and I'm taking out the wrestlers. So number five would be Benedict Wong, seven movies, one show. Number four, Benedict Cumberbatch, seven movies, one show. Number three, Mark Ruffalo, five movies, three shows. Number two, J.K. Simmons, nine movies, one show. Number one, Stanley, nineteen movies. <laughs> Wait, how did you get nineteen? Oh, sixteen. Sorry, I said it wrong. Sixteen. Okay. Uh, top actresses. Again, going to get a similar theme. Number five, Danny Guerrero. Uh, four movies, one show. Number four, Kobe Smulders. Three movies, two shows. Number three, Zendaya. Four movies, one show. Number two, Tilda Swinton. Five movies, one show. And number one, Scott Johansson. Five movies, three shows. Similar. Uh, number five, Marissa Tomei. Six movies. Number four, Milo Djokovic. Six movies. Oh, Number sorry. three, Karen Gillan, five movies, one show. Number two, Zendaya, four movies, two shows. And number one, Scarlett Johansson, six movies, two shows. All right. All right. Who are your top five directors of 2021? No, wait. Let's do top five writers. The latest edition to track, <laughs> thanks to Nicholas Pryor. It's true. Demanding it. We're not even so if you have any requests for tracks... Go through Nicholas Pryor because they listen to him. This list is highly fucked as well. 
but it is. It's it's not exactly perfect. It's just the way the cookie crumbles, unfortunately. Uh, yep. But this is more or less one person. <laughs> uh, number five, Jeff Tremaine, four movies. Number four, Dimitri Olavarovsky, four movies. Sean Cliver, four movies. Loomis Fall, four movies. Steve-O, five movies. <laughs> <laughs> nice watch writers. <laughs> yep. Number five, Jeff Tremaine, three movies. <laughs> number four, Sean Cliver, three movies. Number three, Loomis Falls, three movies. Number two, Chris McKenna, three movies. And number one, Dave Filoni, three shows. Dave Filoni. Oh, damn. My list is just all jackass. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, What are your top top five directors? Number five, Jeff Jeff Tremaine, four movies. By the way, we did a jackass... (laughs) Thing recently which is currently yeah. airing so you should check that what's the fourth movie oh you watched i watched something else i watched uh um a steve-o thing as well but uh, no but you did the th- three the alternate version 2.5 that's what that was yeah and that yeah that would, that would have been the jeff Tremaine thing yeah and then steve-o jeff thing Benjamin. being a writer would have been because i watched his thing yep. as well uh joe berlinger three movies one show number three david gordon green two movies two shows number two Paul W.S. Anderson, five movies. I did a rewatch of all the Resident Evil movies. You can find them over at Radio Watson. And number one, Zack Snyder, five movies. Right. Uh, my list. Number five, Joe Russo, three movies. Number four, John Watts, three movies. Number three, Lee Janiak, three movies. Number two, Lana Wachowski, four movies. Number one, Zack Snyder, four movies. So, yeah. And Dylan, what was the final thing you watched in 2021? Final thing I watched in 2021. At on December 31st, 8 8:22 p.m. 1989's Batman. <laughs> Which you can find discussion for <laughs> here of what you want to watch on the road to the Batman. Uh my number one. And it helps cement my list for best movie of 2021. It was Bo Burnham's Inside at 9.20pm, 31st of December. Okay. Go out in the best way possible. See that new, new year in the style. Now, the other thing I was going to quickly look at, if you scroll back up and go to your 2020 year in review, let's just compare overall stats. Okay. You know, Like at the top with hours and plays. Hmm. So my overall hours and plays for 2021 were... Actually, no, I'll do them backwards. My overall plays and hours for 2020 were 784 plays for a total of 740 hours tracked across TVs and movies. 2021, 964 plays for a total of 979 hours total tracked across TVs and movies. So I went up by about basically 200 hours. Okay. Mine's interesting. So in 2020... I had 1,452 players and 936 hours in uh, 2021. I had 891 players for 1,041 hours. So I had less players this year by a lot, (laughs) but went up in hours. I haven't broke a thousand yet, so... Mm. I'll boost those numbers. So, yeah. Uh, Dylan, what if you had to 
request something from Tract. Good people at Tract. Uh, what would you like to see in your year in review 2022? Uh, put the wrestling stuff under sporting or something. Put sporting events as a separate category that shows up for people who watch that stuff. Or the ability to check a box or something that'll take this stuff out. Because it happened last year and it happened again this year where kind of fucks my top 10 movies list. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, just like you added writers, I think it would be nice if you had uh, either cinematographers or composers. That would be a good addition. Like, that would be a cool stat to see. Because those are people you probably don't notice. And then you go, oh, that. I liked watching films with that music from that person or shot by that person. That'd be cool. And, but also, uh, give us uh, when the the year of the movies. I think they used to do that. Like, how many movies did you watch from what years? That'd be a good stat to have. Probably not very good for me, because uh, I did not watch many old movies <laughs> last year. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be helpful. So yeah. Thank you very much for Tracked, even though, you know, we're paying for VIP membership, so we're really helping you but yeah if you ever want to send us a t-shirt that would be greatly appreciated let's move on to the next segment so normally at the start of the year we have we like go over our most anticipated movies of the year uh but i figured this year we'd make it a bit more fun and also i've been watching a bunch of other places doing like the gaming sphere doing like their gaming drafts for the year so i thought so i thought do a spin on a uh movie draft for 2022 so this is the First ever, what do you want to watch? Movie draft. So what we're going to do is we're each going to pick eight movies uh, coming out in 2022 uh, that have not been screened anywhere yet. So they don't have any review scores yet. Oh, I was going to pick three. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then we're going to score them based on their average Rotten Tomato score. Because I think that's... That probably gets the most critic reviews. So it's not the actual tomato meter score. It's the actual median score of people. Yeah? I think, a, I think that... What do you want to do? I think that makes more sense than Metacritic because I feel like there's more people on Rotten Tomatoes than Metacritic. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's, yeah. a, it's definitely the most popular movie thing, though, I guess, Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I'm probably going to do up an article doing all the scoring and everything, uh, picking all the movies. We're also going to do two wild cards because there's a way in the scoring that, you know, it's going to be, you get a point for every point above 70 that a movie does. But then you also get deducted points if it's below 70. Uh, so we're going to have two wild cards that we can pick that won't count against the score if they don't, if they do poorly. <laughs> so it's like weird weird wacky ones uh, and there's also bonus points for uh picking a movie that ends up in the top 10 box office wise globally so yeah that's kind of it this will be interesting to see how this goes uh i don't know what dylan's strategy is whether he's just picking his favorite movies that he's hoping to see this year <laughs> or he's sorted out i did it uh, on my I'm lunch break let- at work so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to let you go first because you normally lose at these things. Holy fucking <laughs> shit. Calm down. All right. So my first pick is The Batman. Yeah, that was 
that was number one on my list as well. I think, yeah, it's probably the most anticipated movie. It's most year. anticipated, one of the most anticipated movies of the year, but it's also one that I feel pretty safe is going to do very well, so. like critically, so. critically, and potentially money wise as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to pick the opposing one to that. Uh, I think the these are the clear number one and number two. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse first, part one. I think we all saw it. It looks amazing. The first one did very well amongst critics and made a bunch of money. So. Fair. Fair. I will counter that with a similar Marvel-ish pick. Doctor Strange Across the, mul- the whatever multiverse, the okay. multiverse thing. Yes. Okay. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That's the one. That's the one. Uh, in that case, I will pick Thor Love and Thunder. Another movie that will probably make a bunch of money and also be very good. Well received. Hopefully. Right. I'm going to go with Lightyear. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It made so uh, much money that they don't even tell you how much it made. <laughs> well, it just depends if it gets released in theaters, you know. There's still time. So. At least I can go to critical reception. That's true. Uh, num- I'm going to go with The Northman, my third pick. Can't bet against Ariasta. Mm, it's not Ariasta. In black and white, yeah. Oh, Robert, I guess. Sorry. Get all these A24 people confused? How offensive. Yeah, I know, right? Fucking hell. Um, Alright. I'm going with the Bob's Burgers movie. Wow. That was not even on my short list. <laughs> I, I, I know that I don't, even, I don't watch the show much. All I know is that people love it. It always does well. I think critically that shows like really high like regard and stuff, and I think the movie's just gonna hold up same caliber. So I'm just going off a going off a whim. All right. Uh, my fourth pick, I'm gonna go with Jordan Peele's Nope. One nope. because it's fun to say. Two because he's Academy Award winning screenwriter. So. Nope. <laughs> um. Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. Interesting. It's going to make money, I uh, Is it, though? We'll see. <laughs> don't, don't say that. Let's say that. Uh, my next pick is going to be The Black Phone, the Scott Derrickson film. Ah, you can't, I was going to pick it. It's been screened. Has it? Oh, that's true. It was about, about to come out. It'd been screened in America. It already has like a Metacritic score and everything. So That's true. Let's fuck that. <laughs> uh, all right. Next, I'll pick uh, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Yeah. That seems like a good pick. Yeah. Um, fuck it. Now we're into the hard part. God damn it. Um, Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre, or however the fuck you say it. The Guy Ritchie <laughs> one. 
right. Um. Well, speaking of Ariasta, I'll pick his next film, Boulevard. Disappointment, Boulevard. You're a big fan. You're picking all these A twenty four movies. Yeah, I know what's. I know what's going to make a win. <laughs> well, I know what's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um. Oh, motherfucker. Jurassic World Dominion. Okay. Good pick. It was at one point the highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah, so I should at least have the money. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's a 70-something percent. <laughs> uh, Number seven. I'll pick Olivia Wilde's next film. Don't worry, darlings. It's got Harry Styles in it. We know people flock it to the cinema to see Harry Styles. It's true. Uh, last pick. Last pick. The Lost City. The Lost City. Interesting. Uh, my last pick is going to be Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon pretty confident that's the releasing this year i'm right. trying to i'm trying to pick stuff that i'm like actually confident releasing this year so we'll see <laughs> uh <laughs> most of those have release dates yeah Try, i, I was trying to stay often. away from stuff that i'm like studios may move so. that's true that's a good point all right wild cards dylan what what's your first wild card pick? fuck um so what's the rules for these like what's the no negative effects it's just a free hit if, if it's it... bad you know you don't lose any points okay dc league of super pets <laughs> 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 that, that's actually a good use of this <laughs> i think i'm gonna counter that with minions the rise of Gru. that's fair um, I will go. Fuck! What's something that looks like it could magically be good, but not be good? It's kind of hard, actually. Let's go with fuck it. Let's go ambulance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was my white card list. Uh oh. I got three. Potentials. I'm gonna go with Halloween ends. I forgot. I never forgot that movie was actually coming out. Just coming out, yeah. You know, pretty freaking crazy. Uh yeah. So final list, Dylan has The Batman, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse Bandus, Lightyear, Bob's Burgers movie, Top Gun Maverick, Operation Fortune, Jurassic World Dominion. Lost City, DC League of Super Pets, and Ambulance. I have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, Thor Love and Thunder, The Northman, Nope, Elvis, Disappointment Boulevard, Don't Worry Darling, Killers of the Flower Moon, Minions The Rise of Gru, and Halloween Ends. How are you feeling? How confident are you feeling <laughs> at your list? I feel like you've got some, some, you've got stuff in there that I had 
down that I wish, like that I feel pretty confident would be I think we've gone with different strategies. Yeah, I've gone for, I was, and I would have taken stuff like, I wanted to get the Northman, for example. I had Nope in my like, not high category pile because I'm not, I was trying to make sure I got stuff that was releasing, like has release dates and is sort of like coming out in the next like, say four Oh months. yeah, the other qualifier is we're going to return in six, it, first week of July, first episode of July and pick another five movies. Yeah. Because obviously we'll find out about a whole bunch of other movies coming out. Yeah. So. so yeah, my strategy was try and get stuff that's like, I know should be releasing before we do our second one and not after. Mm. Even though I got like what one or two things that are probably after June, July. So Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to rattle off some other titles that I had on my list because we'll probably forget it by the time this comes out. Uh, Turning Red. So that's one. The Fablemans, which is apparently the next Steven Spielberg movie. Asteroid City, which is the next Wes Anderson movie that's meant to come out this year. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Uh, 3,000 Years of Longing. I can't remember what that was. <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, oh, so that's the next. That's the George Miller movie that's meant to come out this year. All oh, right. Starring Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. So that's interesting. Uh, Black Adam. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. But, you know, that one seems risky. Uh, both because they haven't finished filming yet. <laughs> and it's like, how do you... How do you follow up that first movie with your major star gone? Mm-hmm. That's tricky. Uh, and then Avatar 2. Who knows if that's going to come out or not. <laughs> and then The Flash. That was down as a wild card, so... Anything on your list that you want to mention? No, everything on my list has <laughs> been brought up. So I obviously didn't make a long enough mix uh, list. No, good to know for next year. Or next six months time. Mm. So yeah. Uh, check out ExplosionNetwork.com. Maybe by the time this is up, I might have done this article. Uh, explaining the rules and, you know, we'll come back six months. See how we're going. Who's winning and who's losing uh, before we get a winner at the end of the year. But yeah, a little bit of fun bringing up a bunch of movies we're excited for this year. All right, let's move on to some thumbs for trailers, Dylan. Uh, first trailer, Severance, created by Dan Erickson, starring Adam Scott, Zach Cherry, Britt Lower, Jamel Tillman, John Tudoro, uh, Patricia Arquette, Christopher Walken, um, Mark Scott, Mark Scout leads a team at Lumen Industries whose employees have undergone a severance procedure when sur- which, sur- which surgically divides their memories between their work and personal lives. What do you think of severance? Uh, I thought it was a movie at first and I was kind of disappointed to find out it's a TV series because I just feel like the premise based solely upon the trailer sounds like it would work better as a movie, not as a TV show. But... Um, I'm keen. I'm excited. I think the the cast looks really great. I think the the setup of you know these people having an operation where they somehow while they're on this floor at work they only remember what they've done at work and as soon as they leave they just get back their their personal memories and then obviously the the big thing in the trailer is eventually this dude comes in at the end he's like hey I'm your best friend at work and he doesn't remember him and he's like there's a big conspiracy happening and all this sort of stuff so um, definitely lots to be like yeah I want to watch that I want to find out what the hell's actually going on and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm keen to check this one out. Uh, two thumbs up trailer. Yeah, this is two thumbs up for me. I think, 
Uh, really interesting premise. I think as well, the the premise is slowly revealed through the trailer. I think it's really well put together. Um, yeah, it looks really creepy. And, you know, Adam Scott's really good at most things he's in. Um, yeah, interesting idea. And definitely it'd be interesting to find out what the fuck they're doing on in this workplace that justifies all this. Well, all uh, we ever see of them is what? Sitting around, dancing, typing stuff. Just sitting computers, in like I one, guess, but... one room. Yeah. <laughs> Small dividers and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's very creepy and that kind of stuff. So yeah, definitely interested in that. Uh, Dylan, the next one is one of your picks. The Lost City, directed by Aaron and Adam Nee, starring Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe, Devine Joy, Randolph, and Brad Pitt. Reclusive author Loretta Sage writes about exotic places in her popular adventure novels that feature a handsome cover model named Alan. On tour promoting a new book with Alan, Loretta gets kidnapped by an eccentric billionaire who hopes she can lead him to an ancient city's lost treasure from her latest story. Determined to prove she he can be a hero in real life and not just on the pages of her books, Alan sets off to rescue her. Uh, Dylan, what do you think of this one? You must have thought highly if you put it on your list. I think it's going to do well. Not everything, like the Bob's Burger thing, for example. I'm like, I don't care for that, but I was just trying to... That's true. Um, but I do think this is a very good trailer. I think it's a good trailer. I think it looks... It doesn't... At first, you're like, oh, rom-com. You're like, boring rom-com. Don't really care. Or whatever. Well, I guess if you just watch the trailer. If you watch the only skit where Daniel Radcliffe comes from behind the door, because it's like a trailer that doesn't have that, <laughs> I guess. Um, if you watch that, you're like, this is an interesting setup. Um, but yeah, then the actual trailer starts and at first it is like rom-com-ish, I guess, feelings, but then just things take a, a wild turn, especially when Brad Pitt's in the fucking shopping cart or whatever, getting pushed out of an exploding building and stuff. <laughs> like it looks wild. It looks like it's definitely just a uh, very silly, um, I don't, I don't, if you look at like who's involved in it, like the, the directors are like they've just done silly sort of stuff each, um, including like drunk history and stuff. And then the writers, um, including them, but like Oren Uziel, how do you say his name? Uziel, Uziel, Uziel. Um, you know, he's wrote, he's most famous for like, I guess, Cloverfield and 22 Jump Sheet and um, stuff like that. So I feel like the once you dig behind the scenes, definitely see a lot more here than meets the eye, I guess. But yeah, I'm keen for this. I, I think Daniel Radcliffe, Sandra Bullock, Brad Pitt, and Channing Tatum aren't the four people I would see starring in a movie <laughs> together like this, but uh, it looks funny. I think it looks good. I'm, I'm keen to watch it. I give the trailer a double thumbs up. Yeah, I really enjoy the trailer as well. Double thumbs up. It's like, you know, it, it feels like a bit of a throwback to like those crazy rom-com action. I don't know, like, of course, you get vibes of, like, romancing the stone and everything, but there's also, like, a odd, like, 21 Jump Street vibe to it as well. Yeah. Of, like, just that Channing Tatum comedy element. I don't... He hasn't done a lot of comedies. Well, that's not... He actually has done, done a lot, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I don't think he's, like, led a comedy, though, since... No. He's mostly been, like, supporting roles. No, kind of stuff. Well, yeah, he hasn't led a comedy show. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, Sandra Bullock hasn't been around very much. No. Not in the comedy stuff. It's mostly been bird box and depressing stuff recently. Yeah. So nice change of pace. So yeah, this looks really good. Uh, although I'm disappointed it isn't still called The Lost City of D. Because <laughs> D. <laughs> uh, 
Next up, The Northman, directed by Robert, directed by Robert Eggers, starring Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Clay Bangs, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, Bork, Bjork, and Willem Dafoe. The Northman is an epic revenge thriller that explores how far a Viking prince will go to seek justice for his murdered father. Uh, amazing trailer, obviously, this black and white story, of course, you'd expect from Robert Eggers. Um, I would recommend if you were watching this trailer, if you watch this trailer on Twitter, go check out the link in the show descriptions below and watch it on YouTube. Because unlike what it was shown on Twitter, it's an it is an actual full widescreen trailer. <laughs> it's not a square box. It's not. He's not doing the same thing as the Lighthouse with this movie. Um, yeah, I remember we. I think we were talking about it on some po- other thing we were recording when it dropped. Mm. Uh, so yeah. I think it looks really, really good. So I'm def- it's definitely got me excited. Uh, although it's crazy that people are like, oh my God, it's like a witch tie-in because Anya Taylor-Joy is in it and looks witchy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, Dylan, what do you think? Loved it. Can't wait. Definitely one of my most anticipated movies of 2022. Um, visually, it looks stunning. Cast is great. Um, just looks like epic on scale. And it's just... Like, you know, it's going to be like, unlike, you, I don't know, it's just when you do a movie like this, if you do like a proper Viking sort of thing, there's just a certain tone and like dark bleakness to it you want. Whereas like, I feel like a lot of, obviously if this was done like Hollywood, it'd just be a lot clean cutter or whatever. Like the, I, I don't know, just Robert Eggers gets in there and like, he's really good at just diving into, I guess he's proved these weird upset areas and things of history or whatever and just he's proven himself so i'm ready for i'm ready for this i think it looks really really good um and bjork in it is the funniest well not to say she hasn't been in a movie before but it's just the the most interesting casting to me but yeah definitely one of my most anticipated movies of the year double thumbs up obviously yeah double thumbs up uh, next up, we've got The Bad Guys, directed by Pierre Preffel, starring Sam Rockwell, Mark Barron, Craig Robertson, Anthony Ramos, Aquafina, Richard Aode, uh, Zazie Beetz, Lily Singh, and Alex Bornstein. After a lifetime of legendary heists, notorious criminals, Mr. Wolf, Mr. Snake, Mr. Piranha, Mr. Shark, and Mr. Tarantula are finally caught. To avoid a prison sentence, the animal outlaws must pull off their most challenging con yet, becoming model citizens. Under the tutelage of their mentor, Professor Marmalade, the dubitous gang sets out to fool the world that they're turning good. I think this looks pretty fantastic. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about the book series that they're based on, other than there's a lot of them. Uh, but yeah, this looks really fun, and this looks really well animated. You know, there's potential there for some crazy hijinks, and uh, yeah, it looks like an interesting world of like animals and that kind of stuff and you know as soon as that shark uh reveal <laughs> shark starts making that distraction that she's pregnant even though it's a dude <laughs> uh wow amazing uh yeah this two thumbs up for me it looks fantastic i'm definitely keen to check it out in cinemas when it comes out uh dylan what do you think i think it looked okay I'm not like, I wasn't blown away like you were. I think the cast is good and everything. 
Um, I think the premise is good. Something about the animation to me didn't stand out as much as it obviously did to you. And I, I couldn't even put my finger on it. Something about it just felt off or like not, just not, I don't know, not that pizzazz or something that I, I need that, that like, because this is a universal thing, which is the runner up to our Pixar dinner, the, you know, Pixar. Works, yeah. This is like the, the, yeah, this is the, the, the third place. And it just didn't. Something just looked up. This looked like a. This looked like more a fourth place or a fifth place. It didn't. I was just missing something. I was a little bit let down. I don't know what. Maybe I'll change my mind when I watch the whole thing. But um, based on this, I'm at currently a one up, one down. Ooh, interesting. All right, last trailer for this week. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, starring Michelle Yao, Q Yeo. Ki Hu Kwan, Stephanie Hughes, uh, Jenny Slate, Harry Shum Jr., James Hong, and Jamie Lee Curtis. An aging Chinese immigrant is swept up in an insane adventure when she alone can save the world by exploring other universes connecting with the lives she could have led. Uh, Dylan, this trailer dropped out of nowhere and suddenly caught the imaginations of everybody saw it. Uh, what did you think? I remember dropping and watched it obviously and was like this yes 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 please this is like but the funny the funniest thing to me is like the movie has taken it's just taking everyone's got so used to just like multiverse oh that's a marvel like that's a comic booky thing or whatever but this is just doing like a multiverse and like a real interesting setting that's weird and wacky and like really out there and it's it's going to be a, a lot of fun. But I think the trailer is really, really good. I think the trailer is just like grabs you and goes, what the fuck? Like, what a ride. Like, I, I feel like he, surely you'd watch this trailer and go, I want to watch this movie. I don't know how you, you couldn't, but um, it's from the people who did Swiss, Swiss Army Man, which I don't think you've watched, right? No. no. Swiss Army Man, fucking what a movie. <laughs> what a ride. Like, that's the sort of movie you watch a trailer for and you go, this is so dumb. How could this be a full movie? And then you watch it and you're crying at the end for some reason. And you're like, wow, these people, (laughs) I'm down. And, you know, I think I watched when I got to the end of Swiss Army Man, I was like, they just made me care about this character who just farts and he's a dead person. I don't give a fuck. I'll watch anything that they do next. (laughs) So that's that's where we're at. And this already looks awesome. But knowing that this is those people, I was like, all right, I'm fucking all aboard. They they won me over with that that movie. I'm, I'm lifers. So... Um, yeah, I can't wait. Double thumbs up. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this looks amazing. Obviously, getting on the bandwagon. It, it's hard to not go, yeah, they're getting on the bandwagon of these multiverse stories. Uh, I think what the joke I made when I saw the trailer was, hey, I can't believe they remade Jet Li's The One. Because uh, it kind of looks like... Uh, yeah, this looks fantastic. Michelle Yeoh's great in everything she's been in recently. Yeah. Uh, one of the busiest ladies in Hollywood at the moment, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely super keen to check this one out. A24, great pedigree. Like you said, those guys pulled off a miracle with Swiss Army Man. Uh, a movie that I will definitely, I swear, I will watch this year. Uh, we'll just make it a, I will, what do you want? Make it a spoiler cast when we get, when we're missing a week. I'm down for it because I haven't watched it since it came out. Right. And I mean, Paul Dano's in it, so there's another thing, so. Yep, so when we figure out when this movie comes out, <laughs> uh, we'll do... <laughs> when we know when this movie comes out, look for that spoiler cast, so yeah. Uh, yeah, two thumbs up from me as well, so... 
Alright, let's wrap up this week's massive episode of What Do You Want to Watch with our What Do You Want to Watch top three. Definitely in the top three. So, on the, our best personal lists of the year, we did our best, uh, you know, we brought up all this television and all these movies, but we never talk about the other, th- the third thing that's in the introduction of the show, online media. So, this week's top three is best online media we discovered in 2021. Uh, so, that could be podcasts, it could be YouTube videos, it could be Vimeo videos, it could be TikTok shorts, I don't know. Uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, Dylan, what is your number three? I've got to be honest. I'm going to tell you right now. TikTok is correct. Um, so, my setup is that I did... Because uh, two of mine are TikTok people. So, I, I, only, wow. I only got... I only got a TikTok TikTok account last year, 2021. Um, and I think I started getting it because I short form video seems to like click for me where I could, there was like a nice mix of both even just mindless fucking Karen videos on there. And then, well, at least my TikToks become Karen videos or like the pe- people doing like sort of skits and stuff like that. But skits are only like usually short. So I can like watch a few. And be like, cool, they get my fix or whatever. So uh, I've quite enjoyed some of that stuff, the short form sort of stuff. And obviously it's been quite successful because YouTube followed suit and started their shorts uh, program to try and get more people doing shorts on, the, on there. So obviously the success. Um, my number three person that I've enjoyed watching, or new thing I've discovered, but the I guess number two person I've enjoyed watching the most this year is someone you may have seen because, of course, all TikToks make their way to Twitter in some form or fashion. Uh, Francis Borgias, I can't really pronounce his last name, also known as the dude who records himself watching trains. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, he has, uh, he attaches a GoPro to his head. And he like sort of he gets like a ridiculous camera angle where it makes his head really fat, and he like watches himself, and he just he's a train watcher. Um, so I just got to Wikipedia. This is a rundown quickly. Um, yeah, English train spotter and social media personality, most known for his videos posted on Instagram, TikTok on the topic of trains. He began making TikTok videos of train spotting during the COVID nineteen pandemic in England in October twenty twenty one. He was featured on the ITV Daily Magazine. The morning this morning. Uh, is a student. He's a student at University of Nottingham, studying engineering. He quit his job in November 2021 to pursue train spotting full time. Um, so that's all these videos are. It's hard to explain why they're enjoyable without watching themselves. But it is that I think it's that. Um, what would you call it? You know, like when you're watching someone be happy, and it sort of like translates to you. Do you know, you know what I mean, like that sort of thing. Like, um, it's that he gets so happy, so much joy from watching these trains and it's just a very infectious sort of joyous thing that I remember the first time I just like kept watching and watching and watching and now every time he uploads a new video I'm like oh good new new train new train video uh, most recently he's really funny he's the one he put out like as of recording a couple of days ago he had Joe Jonas there but all he did was start the video going hey I'm here in with a British accent of course I'm, I'm here in so and so with my friend Joe or whatever. Like, it wasn't like, oh, here's Joe Jonas. Like, I'm here with my friend Joe, and they did like a video together. And then the one they posted after that, Joe Jonas had the fucking stupid GoPro thing on that made his head look ridiculous on. And Joe Jonas is like, ah, ah, the train or whatever. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's quite fun. I very much enjoyed watching his videos. So, number three on my list. I'm sorry, but I looked him up, and the number one result mm. is Is TikTok famous train spotter a secret fuckboy? A <laughs> <From> Rolling Stone. <laughs> There was a th- there was a thing uh, like I think there was like a thing that started, um, people start like accusing him of being 
like faking his enthusiasm and like all this sort of stuff. And then there was also a whole thing that started where he recently revealed and like randomly off course in a video, he said he had a girlfriend and a bunch of girls got, well, I guess not just girls, but like a bunch of people got shitty because they were like, you were hiding, you had a partner this entire time or whatever. I don't know, something like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. Have you, did you see a picture of his stupid face? Yeah, I saw his. <laughs> I don't know how you haven't seen that on Totally Twitter. normal face. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Uh, my number three is Comics Explained, which is a, just a YouTube channel in which someone, you know, goes through comic book storylines and explains kind of issue by issue how the story goes, you know, as someone kind of time conscious and, you know, it, it's been something I've kind of listened to while I'm working on other stuff and like, uh, get you know here there's mostly so far it's been stories that I've already read through so like getting a refresher on that the kind of stuff uh, but yeah I'm kind of interested to hear some of the like other massive storylines that I'll be perfectly honest I'm probably never going to get to reading like this massive, this Venom King in Black storyline that they've had in the last year or two I'm probably never going to read that I'm thinking about reading so, Justice League as a shout out to comics if you want to yeah I mean they're doing that Justice League uh, yeah, they're about to, to kill, kill them the Justice League, yeah. Or Death of the Justice League, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so I would... Re- if you're interested in comics, that's, that's a good one. He's got a nice, tulsive, nice tone to his voice. And that you can hear the enthusiasm in it. So, yeah. I would recommend that over on YouTube. Tell him what's your number two. Number two is another TikToker. Um, <laughs> why are you laughing so much? <laughs> am I, am I sad? I'm, I'm like that old guy trying to be like, ah, oh, check out TikToks. <laughs> Um, let's see, Millie Ford. Do you know who this person is? Have you heard no. this person? Uh, so Millie Ford is an Australian TikToker. She does. Uh, she, I think she's one of the most popular TikTok people or whatever. Um, she was most recently also on Bump season two in a cameo appearance where she played one of the teachers on it. So that was like a, a cool moment. Um, shout outs. Um, but she does a lot of. She has like several characters and skits that she'll do quite often. I guess it plays into that whole thing of like. And she's one of the most popular people. And a lot of people do it now where it's like the video will be something titled like she did a lot playing like a parent or a teacher. I think the teacher is probably her most popular one. But like, oh, when a teacher walks into the room, when the students aren't paying attention and she like dresses up and she'll like walk in and be like, oh, you kids. Like, It's all very like I, I think it hits that mark where she perfectly like it's I don't know what you call it. But it's that thing where you're watching it and you go. That is what it was like. That's what it was like when I was <laughs> when I was in school. And it'll be like, oh, when your mum does this or something like that, you know, like and it'll be like, oh, when your mum mm. walks in on you doing this, it's like you're watching it's, that is exactly how mum was when I, I was young or whatever. So it definitely plays into that sort of thing where it's like uh relatable, like comedy skit stuff or whatever. Um she def again, she's someone that sort of I th- think like COVID, I think for a lot of people. Um, it feels bad to say almost, but COVID for a lot of people has been successful for them because they were stuck inside and they had all this time to suddenly just make like YouTube videos, TikToks, whatever. Um, and some people have found like great success in that. And I think she's like one of those people where over the period of like since COVID blew up on TikTok, um, she's now like a massive sort of so- social media star and whatever else. But um, yeah, all of her videos are bangers. Um, she's re- very funny. Um, I look, any anytime a new Millie Ford video pops up, I assume it's going to be funny. Quite enjoy watching it. I don't think there's anything that bad. So, um, and yeah, then seeing she's reached out and then, yeah, seeing her on Bump, I was like, oh, that's cool. 
hopefully she's like i guess like not gonna do the thing where it's like just ride this tiktok thing until it eventually burns out but stretch out and maybe she wants to be a proper quote unquote proper actor or whatever i don't i don't really know but um she's definitely been one of my favorite people to watch this year like online all right um my number two is a youtube channel called wait in the wings uh which (laughs) uh covers broadway and like modern musicals um he kind of does uh like kind of in-depth documentaries uh explaining talking about like the development and this the way these musicals came to the stage and that kind of stuff um kind of i kind of came across it uh, obviously there's been a lot of musicals come out this year so like kind of like clicking around and eventually just kind of came across uh this uh yeah i lots of really good ones uh even if you're not into musicals i think like there's one about the musical rebecca that's really interesting because it's a musical that was in development for a long time in Hollywood, but then it got cancelled the day before, like a day or two before it was scheduled to open. And it turns out there was like a massive investor scam behind it and everything. Uh, so it kind of like dolls it out like a, you know, like a crime documentary, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, there's other interesting ones, obviously. Uh, the other one that kind of drew me in was he does a kind of breakdown on the history of spider-man turn off the dark which is the big uh spider-man musical that <laughs> had bono and like 50 different people who ended up in hospital <laughs> uh and kind of how that happened and that kind of thing so yeah lots of really interesting content on there so i would definitely if you've watched the musicals this year and are interested in exploring that further i would definitely recommend checking that out dylan what's your number one pick for online media you found discovered this year Number one, podcasts. Australian podcast called Gameplay. Um, so this is hosted. Was that this year? Last uh, year? I don't know if it came out, but that's when I discovered it. You found oh, it? I could quickly scroll. It started in October 2020. I only, I only started listening to it in, I don't remember, mid-April? Yeah, it was April last year, I guess, roughly. July, April. Okay. Um, so... It's a, what would you call it? It's a deep dive podcast series that focuses on one particular thing uh, per episode. It started like very like um, sort of, it's like addiction, red ring of death. These are sorts of things in the first couple episodes. Uh, the midpoint when I jumped on was because they did an, epi- uh, an episode on Good Game, primarily focused on like the... How it got together, uh, the big breakup between stars, behind the scenes drama, that sort of stuff. And I thought like that was a good, as someone who like used to like, you know, search for answers to all these things, like what happened, like all this sort of stuff. And remember seeing all the like the outrage when Hex was hired and all this sort of stuff. I found that like interesting. Um, and I went back and listened to a bunch of it since then. But most recently, for example, it's like, um, what do we got? Matrix Online is the most recent episode. Blind Gaming was a bonus episode. Animal Crossing, New Harmonies, Golf Club, Wasteland. Um, there was an episode uh, on, uh, it's just titled Honk here, but it's about um, the Untitled Goose Game, uh, chiptune music and stuff. Like it's all just deep dives with interviews with people um, about like the subject matter. And of course, if it's focused on the game, it's interviews with the people that are behind the game and this sort of stuff, but it's edited really well. Um, it's got these really good interviews and it's well produced and everything. And I just think it's a, a really good um, put together listen that also comes from Australia. Um, that's really good. Um, I think it won 
I can't remember what award it was, but it won something at the What's My Calls this year, the Lizzie's. Um, so that was good to see. Um, yeah, gameplay. Probably my, it's the only, I think it's probably the only new podcast I started that I checked out last year that I've kept in my rotation uh, because most episodes are, some are long, but I'd say most of them are 30, 40 minutes, I think, on average, probably if you were to boil it down. So that's quite good for digestible sort of stuff as well. And they're, they're all really interesting. So that's my number one media discovered thing in 2021. All right. Uh, my number one is Secret Base. So this is a spinoff of the American sports website, Sports B Nation, um, in which they d- it's just the name of their YouTube content. But I think their YouTube content is really fantastic. It's got a bunch of like really interesting uh, documentary-esque bits and pieces um like they've got some like statistical stuff and like explaining they've obviously they've got these like rewinder videos where they're explaining like a important moment in sporting history and how these teams got to it and that kind of thing uh but then they also have this series of videos called beef history (laughs) in which they explore like the beef between different athletes uh and dating back to what they said and how they when the the reactions and everything um and a whole bunch of other stuff like that. They did this long documentary about uh, the... They've done one about the Seattle Mariners and the Atlanta Falcons kind of detailing their history in the, their respective sports. Uh, two teams that have not been successful, but, like, kind of... They find the interesting parts of their stories and kind of highlight it. Uh, and they've got, um, like, amazing graphics packages and, like, stats and all kinds of stuff in it. Uh, then they've also got this, the series called Fumble Dimension, in which two of the guys try and break sports video games, uh, whether it's by populating the NBA with all five foot ten players who can't dribble and can't shoot, uh, or making them, making a baseball team throw the ball at the, hit a pitcher every like six pitches or something like that. Uh, bunch of weird stuff. Uh, but yeah, really fun. There's always something new and interesting you, to discover on there and they update their site pretty regular, uh, put new content out pretty regularly. So, uh, that's something that I've been working my way through while I'm doing some work stuff. So, uh, yeah, that has been something that's been keeping me entertained, uh, this year. So yeah, if you like American sports, I would recommend checking that out. All right. That brings us to the end of this episode of what do you want to watch? pretty i can safely say it's probably the longest one we've done (laughs) (laughs) fucking better feel like it it because it feels like it it. just it really got away with away from us didn't it (laughs) it's one way to put it if you got this far thanks if you got this far thank you (laughs) the most hardcore of hardcore uh but yeah let us know your top three what are the top three online media things that you found what are your what, what? Who are your favorite TikTokers? Do I need to join the TikToks? The Tok Ticks? Uh, let us know by going to explosionnetwork.com slash Twitter or jump to Discord at explosionnetwork.com slash Discord. Does Explosion Network need a t- TikTok? I, Is that a thing we need to I do? thought about it at one point and then I just made my own personal one. So. Let us know on <laughs> Dylan's TikTok. You can follow okay. me on TikTok if you want. Viva Ladell, I'm assuming. Correct. Uh, yeah. If you want to help us out here at What Do You Want to Watch, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser, leave us five stars on Spotify, or just tell people about the show. And if you like this episode, thought it was worth a dollar, head on over to our coach page at explosion.com. 
slash support. Thank you, seriously, very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess.